Okay. I am number six, and this is TNP Live. And fuck the technical gremlins. Uh, I am here today with TMP contributor Lisa Belanger and uh, our good friend Chuck Ocelli. And I believe Chris Graves is uh, in Oz right now because of the storm that came through his area. So hopefully uh, he's having a good time with uh, the Lollipop Guild. But um, on to this week's monologue. The legendary wrestler Dusty Rhodes once said, I've wined and dined with kings and queens, and I've slept in alleys and dined on pork and beans. What a way to summarize the American experience. Maybe that's why they call Dusty the American dream. What does the American dream mean to you these days? I guess in my mind, growing up, it was getting a good job and having a family and owning a home. And like Biggie Smalls once said, it was all a dream. As I mentioned to my wonderful guest the other night when we were talking about what happened in Maui, that I've been fortunate enough to travel to Hawaii, something not every son of a plumber or working man gets to do in his life when you're born on the East Coast of the United States. In fact, I've gotten to travel and experience a lot more than most people that I know will in their entire lives, and I ain't done yet. There's a lot of places that I want to explore before I turn the keys in on this rental, and I'm excited to see the people on this panel in person one day soon too. But I've also been in the desperate situation of having no home besides my car and some good friends to let me sleep on their couch. That situation back then made a trip to Hawaii seem like I fell asleep with the TV on and won the prices right in another dimension. To those listening, where have you traveled on the ladder of fortune? For those of us who grew up with humble means that got by without having to worry about not having any food on, on the table for dinner or had good parents that worked their ass off to give you that, to you, like me, the world can smack you in the face for not respecting the grind that gave you that. The people that took care of me, my family, my friends, all do what they can by serving our American economy with the dream that they can survive and thrive and maybe enough to be able to help others. Like the soul and the people that I talked to the other night, helping those in Maui. Those people described what many of us are doing right now, which is working to be able to live comfortably in a place where those running the show are making it less and less achievable. I'm not a huge fan of class warfare. Seems like a great way to end up in endless bloodshed when people don't get to decide what side they're on. Caste systems and Serfdom aren't things of the past, though. Slavery is in full force in places America liberates. But no matter what you come from, where you were fortunate enough to have been born, the individual can connect to others about their life experience, trying to get by from the slums of Brazil to the progressive experiment of Sweden, of being able to connect with the souls put that human experience to music. That connection between all of us here today that struggle to make ends meet, to achieve dreams, and to leave our families in a better place when we're gone is almost universal. 
almost because I don't know what goes through the minds of the elite. In fact, lately I get upset when people try to focus on that. Let the words and actions demonstrate what the folks at the other end of the power vacuum think. We as a people in America have had a really hard time prosecuting the crimes of the past. We struggle to gain enough power to seek justice, and we're told to wait till the next all-important election to get it. How's that working out? The crime of the modern century will be our generation, and the next, trying to regain that power in our current system, because the system was never built to allow us to do that. Our nation is built upon a structure that protects the elite from being supplanted. And even if you think you want a change up in that power vacuum, at the top of this monstrosity, that maybe your kids and grandkids, if you're allowed to have them, will realize that doesn't fix this problem. The, that power and the way it works doesn't allow your representation to scale up to something the size of a federal government. Every toppling of a hierarchy has a price. If we rid ourselves tomorrow of the top-down, manipulative control of the American government, could we still have the dream and achieve it? Or does doing that hand the keys over to another group, one that's global, corporatist, and acts as an oligarchy? Or will we try a different way to govern ourselves locally? Will we have a say in where our power goes and whom it benefits? I don't want a king, a president, or a tyrant making decisions on my fate. I want the people like me and you. People that know what it's like to work for a living. Sleep in a gutter. And get back up to fight for a better world. And if you look around you, there's plenty of us. And that's this week's monologue. Throw a six in the chat if you feel me. Lisa, how you feeling this week, my friend? Uh, I'm stoked, you know, <clears throat> and humbled. Um, talking... Uh, with uh, Jessica Priya and Sarah, really, um, man, no words. I'm, I'm really hoping that people check out um, that conversation we had. Uh, really proud uh, being able to get people's, people who are boots on the ground, getting their voices out. So uh, thanks to you, Six, for making that possible. Well, and thanks to them for stepping up to want to use their voice to tell people for history and posterity what the people were doing there to help one another. Like I can imagine swimming in a sea of fire and a boat comes up to you and a man out stretches his arm and pulls you into the boat and then tells you his name is Peanut Butter Paul. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we met some incredible people the other night. 
Um, you know, Jessica Priya, Sarah, Peanut Butter Paul, I thank all of them for being on. I hope we get to talk to more people uh, from that area. And I would like to keep those connections too. I think the the awful fucking thing, and Chuck, you could probably speak to this because you've covered a lot of things in your time doing stuff like this, right? Is that when horrible things like this occur, oh, perfect timing. Thank you, Chris, for being here. Um, oh, oh, damn storm. Damn lollipop kids. <laughs> Gremlin. Gremlins. That's that's what it is. Oh, but um, no, as I was saying, though, uh, to, to pass it off to Chuck here in a second, um, when the horrible thing about these things that you see, like the Maui fires and any type of devastating or just gut-wrenching type of situation to watch unfold is that life goes on and that you have to continue on and like the stories in a few months and like all of what happened and all that horror just sort of fades and then it's on to the next version of that right isn't it a weird cycle that we live through with this these types of tragedies well, one cycle after another, one tragedy after another, whether it's, uh, you know, people not understanding how they were getting shot during protests. Uh, you know, that was only a couple of years ago and people forgot about that. Uh, you know, uh, people getting beat down by cops uh, that uh, weren't actually part of a protest that I covered on my show. Uh, people trying to emerge out of the fires in California uh, that absolutely destroyed a whole area called Paradise, right? Uh, there was uh, various fires in Arizona, which is kind of unexpected because California on fire, you shrug your shoulders anymore. That's just, oh, it's uh, what? It's uh, summer. Um, all right. And, and we know that Hawaii is a chain of volcanoes, basically. So the people that live there are different. It is a, a very expensive place to live. It's uh, a very beautiful place to live. It's a very unique place on the planet. Uh, not just well, geographically, uh, topographically, but I mean, you know, psychologically, spiritually, it is a different sort of place to be. And the idea that it was on fire, I contacted the first person I could think of that lived in Hawaii when I saw the headlines, and uh, they were safe. They were on another island. And uh, it's an island chain, right? Um, just like, you know, California's on fire. Well, not the whole state, but huge chunks of it. And I'll tell you, if you're in the midst of it, the world is on fire. And uh, I talked to people that were, you know, fighting with the power companies. And I talked to people that were getting duped by Aaron Brockovich. And I talked to people that, yeah, Aaron Brockovich, that Aaron Brockovich. That's right. Yeah. Uh, uh, not not exactly the heroic uh, Julia Roberts, I think, later. I don't remember. Oh. It was her. Yeah. Was it her? Anyway, yep. it, not her, but her. Anyhow, um, you know, and, and they were talking about her real character and how the corporatists handle all this and how people get handled afterwards and etc cetera, etc cetera. and and yeah um that's only in very recent years and and people talking about trying to save horses that was an interesting thing you know horses that were fleeing from fires and the scene seeming like something out of i don't know a nostradamus documentary that they used to pound us to death with pre pre uh 2012 anyway they certainly were pounding us with doc uh, you know docudramas right nostradamus the man who saw tomorrow get ready 2012 is happening the world is going to end <laughs> and it didn't end in 1999 either. Oh, excuse me. Y2K. I know. Grandpa, calm down. What are you talking about? The post 9-11 reality. 
And that day was apocalyptic for those of us that survived it in a way, especially if you were anywhere near it. Yeah, I'm getting tired of covering the tragedies, the destruction, whether it is man-made or it is nature or it is a war or it is it, it, it is it is exhausting. At the same time, you bring up another issue during your monologue, which I think is is profoundly even more interesting than the disasters that are going to keep hitting us. Uh, you know, and, and by the way, uh, before I ever did a radio show or anything like that, I was in this little thing called uh, Superstorm Sandy in New Jersey. And I was in, in the part of New Jersey where, you know, we had no power for a while. Well, I was going to say, even like when you were going through what you were going through describing Hawaii, if you remove maybe the volcanic chain uh, thing, uh, you could describe New Jersey in that way. <laughs> yeah. For a lot of people that it's hella expensive, it's, it's unique, it has all these different attributes to the culture and the people there right <laughs> yeah it's but but see i like the ugly of new jersey uh to me that's yeah. beautiful but there is true beauty in hawaii so you gotta you gotta give it there uh and despite all my jokes i still think that uh the women in jersey are are are, are best anywhere i've seen in the country but anyway uh point is <laughs> hey, you hey, hey, all, all hey. beauty you gotta observe all beauty what Listen, no offense to you, I'll tell you. Uh, you know, I'm 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 happy I've only got six to interfere between you and me today. Okay, anyways, um, it's it, I'm 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 being ridiculous just because yes. it's it's early and I, I want to make points here and, and Lisa, I love you, you know that. Um, and and that and that's not not sarcasm. Anyways, um, back to it. Yeah, Jersey's a nice place too, but I'll tell you, when when uh, things went apocalyptic, and by the way, after Superstorm Sandy, then we got hit with a nor'easter, which dropped, you know, three, four feet of snow, it seemed like, on us, uh, depending on where the snow drips were. They literally covered the fronts of, like, you know, grocery stores and stuff like that, like mountains of snow blew up that high uh, when we had no power and couldn't get into the grocery stores, et cetera, couldn't get to get medicine, couldn't get out to get water. And, oh, our water filtration didn't work. And, by the way, we live near a nuclear plant there. Uh, I was in a place called uh, Forked River, New Jersey. Forked River, if you look on a map. But we say Forked River. And uh, no power there. Uh, I somehow found a way to go to work, but I had to walk. There was no gasoline stations running either because everything required power to run, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, and cell towers weren't working too well either. <laughs> Congratulations. We got to go back to the 80s, except nobody had any electricity. And uh, we did everything by fire, etc. All right. Um, that's what went on in my area. People pulled together, though, and figured out how to uh, navigate the situation. And in any of these disasters, it'll happen. But it was about like, say, three weeks with uh, with no power. Imagine that in the United States. Right. Uh, and, and meanwhile, you know, it destroyed certain islands just off of the coast of jersey uh it destroyed whole towns seemingly uh wrecked the business of the area you know they're talking about the tourism being damaged in hawaii etc all of these things yeah this is what happens and this is what can happen at any time in a place where you are it reminds you to remain appreciative of when things are not quite as bad as they can get and uh we are joined seemingly stable at this point by Chris Graves. Maybe the storm has given him enough of a pause, so maybe I should pause for him to chime in while he's able to. Chris Graves, what have you to say from the Lollipop Guild? 
that chucks out of his fucking mind when he's talking about New Jersey girls being the best in the whole country. <laughs> the hell is that about? You know, Man. I can't really speak to it, so I, I uh, at least I don't. Fair <laughs> enough. I need emojis on this. Uh, Check my diary this, here. On this stream yachting. Well, I'm currently in a tornado, so yeah, I'm I'm here for the long haul, as long as I don't get cut cut off again. Nice. Are you actually getting tornadoes there? I'm in a tornado right now. Yeah. Ah, well, you know, I, I, in Georgia here, that's like you know every other week, pretty much, we get a little warning on that. So, welcome to the party. Um, I'm right next to the Cape, so uh, yeah. I don't know what kind of water that's bringing right now. The horrible thing about the tornadoes, though, is that do, does it really play Van Hagar when the tornado is like touching down over you or something? It's 50 foot 55, baby. Yeah. Uh, That's the twist. thing about Twister that I remember the most is the Van Hagar. Oh, I'm sorry, I was going to say he's one of those Twister people. <laughs> nice. You can't drive 55 in Hill Valley in uh, the alternate 1985. I like Solo Sammy. Like like the Sammy stuff that was on uh, heavy metal soundtrack, the, the animated movie from eighty one. Well, he made some good booze. I know that. You know what? Uh, this is this is one for maybe for the panel because I used to sip on it, but don't anymore. Um, uh, when it comes to oh, tequila, Sammy Hagar. <laughs> no, no, the, no, te tequila. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> good one. No, but uh, yeah, the tequila stuff. Um, I tried the Cabo Wabo. To me, it tasted like what burnt plastic smells like. Like it, it just it it was weird. It did not. Well, that's taste what we right. drink in Massachusetts. So there you go. I guess uh, Chuck's uh, tasting in New Jersey girls is uh, applied here in Massachusetts uh, beverages. I mean, I'll say that I'll I would I probably would have taken some cheaper tequila over that. So maybe there is something to that. I don't know. And when it comes to taste and flavor, but uh, maybe I don't out. have a refined talent, you know. But uh, any tequila silver, drinkers on the panel? Silver <laughs> label yeah. only. Come on. Yeah. Okay. There's a there's a lot of I think tequila's on a comeback too. Like I've I've I mean I listen to a lot of different styles of podcasts, and um, I've listened to a couple wrestling podcasts where the wrestlers talk about getting fine tequilas from all over the world and stuff. I mean, it sounds exciting, but uh, also. Tequila don't, is an upper to some people. <laughs> don't the, eat the uh, worm. Don't eat the worm. Don't the worm do is a downer. Uh, oh yeah, the worm is definitely a downer. <laughs> it would be. Um, but yeah, any any crazy tequila experiences? Because <laughs> I've had a few. <laughs> Too many to announce here. <laughs> I plead yes. the fifth. I plead <laughs> the fifth. <laughs> I think once maybe I might have appeared on actual television. Uh, uh, TV thing dancing on the table, so I don't know, but we won't talk about that. My first experience with tequila, I did end up naked and not quite blacked out because I've never actually blacked out, but it was pretty fuzzy the next day as to how that actually all went down. Yeah, oh, Pat Chimes in the, the back in the day, they used to get a eight dollar bottle of Montezuma. Oh, yeah. I got Probably, the spin, uh, I got the spins on the set of the fighter in Lowell, Massachusetts. <laughs> got the spins. Oh, that was I'll tell you what, as far as like all of the side effects from drinking the alcohol, I don't miss any of that shit. 
I'll tell you. Like, uh, I've never really had, like, I have friends that just have, like, cast iron stomachs. They can just, they can mix things. They can drink all night, smoke too, and all these other things. Mm, no, I got sick a lot back in the day. I wasn't, I wasn't good if I overdid it, which was common, which is probably why I don't fuck around with it anymore. But, mm. um, yeah, lots, lots of stories. But I do not recall tequila ever doing me that dirty, though. Like, uh, I mean, I've definitely woken up in some situations that I probably shouldn't have been, um, especially the one time the night before a final, um, I woke up late to the final in another area <laughs> and had to drive a good bit to even get to school to take that final. And I walked in and the teacher looks at me and goes, where the hell were you? And I'm like, you don't want to know. <laughs> That's all I said. <laughs> and I aced that test. <laughs> I got nice. to finish it. But um Oh man. But Chuck, you, we were talking about the sort of the, the human experience though, like getting back to uh, the main topic today. Um, yeah, I was about just... to pivot to the, uh, the homelessness and the concept of, uh, you know, cities. Cause, cause here we go again with something else that I, that I unfortunately had to experience firsthand. Well, uh, alcoholism of... will get you there. So I mean, I guess we did have a segue somewhat between uh, yeah, but see, alcoholism didn't deliver me to it. At least not my alcoholism. Uh, well, you know, and that's the thing about it, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. First, first I experienced it as a child. Then I experienced it as an adult, and I got to uh, I got to understand what what is invisible America, uh, and and what do I mean by that? Well, after a while, see, you, you might have friends at first that let you sleep on a couch, but if uh, circumstances conspire against you for a little while, you could end up in a cycle that's not that easy to get out of, and a lot of people don't have sympathy, empathy, or an understanding of that and uh, bless them for not understanding it because it's a horrible circumstance to find yourself in where there are no friends left and what you're trying to do is become invisible so that the authorities, so that wayward youth don't decide to harass you, so that individuals don't try to abuse you on the wrong streets at the wrong time, in the wrong place on those streets. And you try to find a place to sleep out of sight, out of mind, and remain there. And then when you do need to be seen and you do need to be heard, you're not. Because you have been depersoned. And that occurs when you get into that cycle. That occurs to a lot of people when you get in that cycle. Now, I've heard the arguments about how some people embrace it and they want to be homeless. I, having experienced that, do not understand that concept. Because after a little while, my sanity was challenged. After, well, maybe a year straight of it, it got harder and harder, more and more difficult. And no matter what it was, I was able to do to maybe earn a few dollars so I didn't have to starve to death. And I wasn't out panhandling because I couldn't figure out how to do that. I mean, I knew how to do it, but I couldn't figure out how I could do it, you see still held on to my pride and the only thing i made sure i carried around everywhere besides a plastic bag full of what was basically all the possessions that i could hold in one place was what a few things to clean myself up and the very bare essentials to identify who i was and that was in a plastic bag and i went from place to place and i barely pulled myself back out of it not an easy place to be and it is a place that unfortunately a lot of people are very much closer to than they realize far too often probably some people even listen right now man well it could like, be that's the could thing be. these days you could be homeless and have a phone yeah <laughs> you could and be i could imagine car and have a Thank phone you. 
you know? Yeah. yeah. No, I couldn't even imagine that back then, though, because, you know, mm -hmm. I had I had a pager that I was barely able to pay for. <laughs> oh, hell yeah, pagers. All right. Well, I was homeless in the 90s, understand. And yeah, I know it was outdated tech even then. But look, again, poor guy, poor neighborhood. People had to get a hold of me somehow. I had no place to be. A pager was the only way somebody could ever find me anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, and I did that. And again, a little bit of hustling, a little bit of this and that. The only resistance was, I mean, I could have gotten out of it a lot easier had I just dove head first and found my way back to somebody who was, you know, doing a bit of urban chemistry doing a bit of urban, urban pharmacy uh, out on the street level, I probably could have gotten out of it a lot quicker. But I was doing my damnedest to stay away from that. And during that time, I still played gigs as a musician. I still showed up because that was, you know, part of how I could earn a little bit of money uh, and things like that. Wound up sleeping in the practice rooms where I wasn't supposed to. Wound up sleeping in between buildings where people were not supposed to be wound up trying to crash with friends but after a while those friends turn away from you because you become this other thing anyway a lot of times when people talk about it i can hear clearly they have no understanding of it and oh you mentioned the slums of brazil i've been there too yeah i got to see that that was my shout out to sepultura <laughs> yeah well i remember sitting there thinking that because people did compare a, a lot of what i did as a metal artist to uh to max caballera so Oh, yeah. uh, so I remember being there and saying, man, this is incredible that this guy came from this place. Yes. Uh, and, and, and a lot of people don't know about Max's political activism and, uh, and his, you know, they might have a vague idea if they're English speaking fans and such, but there, there's, there's deep rooted connections and things to be considered there, yeah. uh, with him and his brother that, um, are very interesting. But anyway, I digress. Point is, a lot of people talk about this stuff and have been talking about the cities and the sweeping up of people into those cities and how people survive in them and the homeless populations. But I don't know if anybody has really taken notice as of late. It's not just the major cities. It's not just the second cities. It's not just the third tier smaller, barely called them cities. It's not just making Georgia where I'm sitting, which clearly has a severe homeless problem and every single outlet or store in a place that is uh in, in in the neighborhood where i live is populated by people out in front of it begging and i do call it begging because that's what they're doing they're begging and they're harassing and a lot of them have no place to go or are sleeping in abandoned homes or sleeping in structures that were deemed unfit for others to live in and they're just occupying them here or there, or living in woods, or living in tents, and things like that in Macon, Georgia. That population has swelled in the past few years. That population has swelled seemingly, at least from what I'm being told, in every part of this country. And hardly anybody is taking serious notice of it. Is it just the major cities? Is that the only place? Is the collectivism that goes on there and the metropolises that are alleged to emerge these great things in the cities? Is it just the symptom of that, or is it the symptom of that other corporatist problem we have? Not just the, the cities. <laughs> Sounds like a well, famous song. <laughs> yeah. And, and here we go, right? So, look, there's a lot to be considered there, and the truth is most people, if they're blessed, never have to consider most of it. Yeah. But I've been hearing about this problem for a long time and how everything's going to collapse and stay away from the cities because they're the biggest problem. 
they're the biggest problem. That's where the biggest problems are. And if you don't believe me, here's a guarantee. Anybody who is right wing affiliated or adjacent, the first thing they're going to bring up when they start talking about the problems in America, one of the very first things within, I don't know, half a paragraph of any rant, you're going to hear about Chicago. It's oh, just a guarantee. Law and order, baby. Yeah. How long did they use that in a political arena of just like, don't you want law and order? Don't you want to bring back law and order to New York or all these other places out there, right? And we're even talking about that with Eric Adams now and how bad mm -hmm. the crime has gotten in New York. That's another way to somebody to go to a stump and pound their fist and say, hey, we need law and order here. Or because a cop, delivering, folks. <laughs> yeah, because a cop as mayor is obviously not interested in law and order, right? Yeah. I mean, you all. know, just saying, just saying. <laughs> to show you how you can't like there's no label that you could slap on somebody that really shows you how they're supposed to act or think or feel or whom they serve no like, and here's the bottom line okay yeah. so my whole life i've been alive and i've known about these problems look the first time i encountered new york city i was in you know i was up above 105th street uh you know in new york city and dealing with that when i was six seven eight years old and i assure you uh, New York City was like a war zone in 1978 and 79 and 80. Uh, bodies dropping on the street, not that unusual for one reason or another. Okay. Uh, uh, murder, OD, this kind of thing. And it kind of went by with very little notice. It just was the way it was. The city was out of control. And it didn't matter how liberal or how conservative or even the cleanups of uh, Giuliani coming through in New York later on. It didn't matter because the problems ebb and flow. And this is what happens. The truth is nobody has the solution for all of this. Nobody ever wants to really face it. They want to bring law and order to some people who have been victimized by exactly that same law and order. Maybe people that have been already caught up in a system because at some point they had too much of a plant in their pocket. Or maybe they had violated some other alleged law, some other alleged legal thing. And their lives become a cycle because they're also victimized by the cycles of addiction. And the yes, system. indeed. And the system. And, there and is the no rest of the system. Yeah, that's something you can attest to, Lisa, right? So, so there's plenty of order in that system, Lisa. I don't know how lawful it is, but there's exactly. plenty of order in it. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, lockstep order. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. If you submit, they may let you keep breathing. But can you continue to function? And I've seen people get swept and taken down by the system. You know, they go from that almost middle class existence straight on to being face down on the ground and trying to figure out where all their worldly possessions went and why it is they've been, what is the new term, uh, unhomed? Some ridiculous, you know, thing to just not say somebody is homeless without a home, without a roof, without a safe place to sleep. I don't know how to describe that. I don't know because how to describe the, the sanitization. Uh, they, they, they manipulate those labels because they utilize that same stigma all the time. Like the right. people that change the words, change the verbiage, they're looking to control thought, in my opinion. So um, whenever you uh, do that, though, like so you change a word from homeless to unhomed, it's, it's, it's a hell of a flex, too, whenever it comes to getting people to adopt that. So what Lisa brought up with people walking in lockstep, like people that are in those uh, social uh, uh, circles of doing social work or even work with the homeless. And in fact, Chuck, what you brought up before is that you've heard people say time and time again that there's people that want to be homeless. And yeah. you know who I hear that from? 
the people that work with the homeless, because even that close to somebody, you don't understand their mechanics. The people are so people are tremendously complicated. And you've talked about it before in past conversations with us, too, that what works for you to help reset your brain to get through traumas, you know, uh, chemically may not work the same on another person. Um, yeah. It's you're not always going to have the same effects. So even your interventions with homeless, it, it's like applying that same type of medicine. And when people look at it from the outside, no matter how close you are to that story, unless you're in that person's head, even if you are in that person's head sometimes, even if you are that fucking person, you might not understand. Well, and that's true. Because here's the thing about those people that'll turn around and say, no, I want to do this. I embrace this. You know, I hear people happy as hell to be poor all the time, right? I'm glad that I had that because it built my character. Look, that is what you tell yourself. That is what you articulate so that you can cope with some trauma that's caused by this. The fact that you know that you couldn't keep a loved one alive because you didn't have the money to pay the bill, okay? The fact that you know you couldn't help somebody else out who has now slipped into disappearing somewhere into one of those cities. The fact that you know somebody who did disappear into the system because they were swept up, they made a mistake at some point and couldn't get out of the cycle where the system kept making them pay one way or another. Okay, again, I've seen people lose it because too much of a plant in their pocket. They had an outburst. They might have had a bad mental health day. And they and pay for those you, labels put upon them by the justice system, too, <clears throat> when it comes to getting a job, whenever it comes to getting a home, whenever it comes to getting a car, anything that, that would help give them stability in their lives. That's it. Because they're branded now. So here we are. There are a lot of things going on, and this will continue to go on. In the, in the first time I got to hear about this was probably right before I got to experience it as an adult the first time, where I started to hear a whole lot of conservative arguments about how people do this to themselves. And indeed, you do take an active participatory role in all of these things, but what you consented to, you may not understand. What you've decided to throw yourself under, you may informed not understand. Consent. <laughs> and informed consent takes on a lot of different meanings when you're not being well informed. Tell me about why it is people go to lawyers, Lisa. Tell me why it is they go to them because they don't understand the language. They don't understand the process. They don't know how this works. So they turn themselves over to the lawyer, just like they go to the doctor, just like they go to the, well, you know where I can go with all this. And you go to that person and you are at the mercy of somebody who's speaking a language you don't know. I mean, I understand Latin, so I've got a chance, but Explo most people don't. <laughs> Ex exploitation. Ah, there's a word. But anyway, all of these things contribute to a whole lot of circumstances, and a lot of people like to oversimplify this and make it into one thing. And it's just not one thing ever. Just like that circumstance in Maui is not just one thing. I Absolutely. know people are going to talk about directed energy weapons and things like that, just like they did in California, and I understand why. Is that important at this time, though, when people are trying to survive? Do you care about those people? Do you want to see them survive first? And let's sort out how this all went down. Absolutely. Uh, almost a crime scene everywhere you look in this place we used to call America for sure. But it doesn't mean that everybody is equipped to be the forensic examiner. And by the way, 
even though I do appreciate Lisa and I don't hate her, even though she's got a legal background. Got to tell you, most people that tell me that automatically I start to deperson them in my mind because it's almost inhuman what's done by that profession to a whole lot of people who think they're informed and are not. And, and that's should, the biggest problem. Anyway, and, I'm done. And guess what? Guess what happens to, to the person who, who supposedly is uh, a quote-unquote lawyer and exposes after having finding out what really goes on and exposes it to the public what what those quote-unquote lawyers do to that, to that whistleblower. Let me tell you, it, it, it's unfathomable, the retaliation, man. Well, the haikus don't want anybody that speaks out of turn, Lisa. And that, that can go for even in the medical field. I mean, we've seen that plenty over the past several years. Lisa, I believe you sent me a article yesterday about a, a woman that's that's a doctor that's that's fighting for her professional life. Um, I would Dr. love to cover Nass. that. Dr. Merrill Nass. But you know what mm -hmm. the thing is that that but even so, you know what I noticed though about um the tyranny that's been going on with, with the doctors. But there's still people who are who are gathering in support, okay? Even lawyers are helping those doctors, okay? Guess who's not helping lawyers who are telling the truth, okay? I hope you're not getting pulled over right now, Lisa. <laughs> I know, you know. <laughs> I shouldn't have sent you that Biggie Smalls track earlier to listen to. Now you're getting that pulled government. over. <laughs> that was like a Being black on a Friday, you know, just happens all the time in America. Oh man! No, but 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 do you know what I'm saying? I mean, so I'm thankful that there are people who are helping to support the medical doctors that are, uh, you know telling the truth and exposing the system and there's a lot of support which is great and i and, and i commend that but um i get a little discouraged because because you don't see in no, the legal arena as much there, there, and i mean there's nothing in the legal arena nothing and no. and you, you know what after going through this pandemic of sorts um <laughs> I think that it showed a lot of cracks to a lot more people. It was just on the main stage, like the main stage of everyone's sort of awakening in the past several years was the medical tyranny. However, um, I think that afterwards, now that we're in post, like Chuck brought up before, like with Maui, the important thing to do, like folks out there, like if you think that there was any sort of fuckery that happened in Maui, especially if it involved the government, I'm willing to entertain that conversation. The best thing you can do though, is get real life hard evidence. Uh, I did see people on Twitter bringing up something uh, really good in those discussions about the DEWs or DEWs, um, as they're making jokes with, um, that somebody there should maybe collect some soil samples. Um, somebody there should, you know, not just get, you know, drone footage and other things like visuals are nice, but there's also a whole fucking demographic of people, Chuck, and you've probably heard of them that will take visuals and then manipulate what you're seeing by describing it for you and therefore using the power of suggestion in order to shape your thoughts and feelings about those things. You've never seen that in documentary form or anything, have you, Chuck? Oh, we're not going to go into the snake venom, are we? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it could apply to a lot of shit, but I'm kind of setting up Chuck for something here. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting how, look, 
it, it is about Let's a point get of view. JFK assassination, folks. Talk yeah, we're we're about to go there because look, once again, uh, what are we confronted with? Just like all these things that we have discussed, right? You got to consider the lens by which the speaker is viewing it. You have to understand that you know when Lisa's speaking about what what she's speaking about, it's because it's from an informed position. When I'm talking about some of the things that I'm going to talk about. It's from an informed position, okay? Uh, and I don't claim to be informed about everything, not at all. Some people do, and that's fine. And you know what? I'll grant you, you could be a jack or a jill of all trades, and that's wonderful and dandy and all that good stuff. And maybe you understand everything in the world, and congratulations. But um, I got to tell you, for the most part, what I see is uh, – is a whole bunch of presentations of ignorance and the projections then become reflections and what happens we see the repetition and we see people parroting things that they have absolutely no informed position about they haven't taken the time they haven't done the homework to take a look at these things and do anything other than dismissively say this is fucked up and that's it and sounds you know like, what? Sounds like Mockingbird, right? It does. Well, to because... be so definite in any declaration that you know what the fuck caused something at this point, too. Like, I just, I mean, we don't even, like, there's still debate on the JFK assassination, right? Like, I brought that up on the interview the other night for a reason. That when yeah. you go back forensically and all this other stuff, like, for people to be so certain that they know what the fuck happened there after never being there, not seeing any real hard evidence and then just knowing what happened and then being so sure of that, that they'll fight with people online and even fucking uh, send some threats to people. Right, Chuck? <laughs> well, people will insist on certain things. I love the statements that I've gotten over the years. I already know all about the JFK assassination. This is not me saying it. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. This is me repeating, uh, paraphrasing. I know all about this. I have read, ready for this one. I have read all the books. Yeah. You've read all the books. That's impressive. I say, this has happened more than once. And how many books? Can you give me a number as to how many books? Because I happen to know approximately, and I used to know, I don't know currently, but I used to know approximately how many books had been published on the subject. So I said, uh, hey, how many are we talking here? So anybody want to venture a guess? I'll tell you what, six. Let me just choose you. Um, what do you think the, the, the number of books they said they read and knew everything about the JFK assassination was? Oh, see, I, I was, I would I've say had precisely this. Well, look, you've got three. I, I'm just going to tell you now, you've got three chances to get it right, because oh. I've had this exact conversation three times where someone has told me they have read all. And I stress the word all the books on the case. And they say, I read all of them. I know what happened. And before I ask them what happened, I want to know how many books they read. So give me an idea. What do you think the answers I got were? I mean, just, just give me one. If you get close to one of them, I, I'll be amazed. Go ahead. See, I think that a person may have claimed that they've read three books. Wow. Um, you, you got one of them, them right. <laughs> you, you got one right. That was the first one. And I, I, I it took me a few minutes to recover <laughs> from three books. Three. You think there's three books. in? The, okay. So in, in my mind, without saying it out loud, I'm, I'm speaking to a moron. But um, I, I, I try to be fair and nice about it. And I say, you do realize that, uh, that that three books that you think is all the books doesn't even cover what came out this year, right? I mean, that's, you know, 
Yeah. And, and at that point, there was, uh, I think, 50 years in. Uh, now we're approaching 60. But, I mean, 10 years ago, I will never forget this conversation because it was the first time I had somebody say, I read all the books. All the books. I've seen all the TV shows. <laughs> I go, okay. That might not have informed you too well, but you've read all the books. You've seen all the TV shows. You can't even read all the government-issued volumes with the number three. Uh, you can't <laughs> You can't have possibly read. There are some authors who have written more than three books, uh, a lot of them, a ton of them, on the case. You're telling me you read three books. Thank you. And how big are these books, too? I mean, like, you could do an entire book, I'm sure, on just, like, the Gerald Ford like yeah. connections to all these different stories surrounding the JFK assassination. Absolutely. From the Warren Commission. Getting elected to president, you know, the, the Warren yeah. Commission. Absolutely. Warren Commission, the, HS, the HSCA operated under Gerald Ford. He uh, selected George H.W. Bush to the CIA head, uh, you know, for one year in 1976. Gerald Ford. Yeah, just Gerald Ford. I probably could do eight, nine hundred pages yeah. just informing you about him and not not his whole history. I mean, maybe a brief bio, give it two pages or so out of that 800. But I could probably do 800 pages on Gerald Ford. And by the way, Gerald Ford, before he died, issued a special copy of the Warren Commission signed. You can still get some of them on eBay for you know a few hundred bucks a piece. But yeah, he, even he kind of cashed in on his own connection to the Warren Commission. But just Gerald Ford, you're right. That would be a massive volume, eight, 900 pages of a physical book. I know those are strange, Grandpa. You know, what's a book? But yeah. I, I'm just saying they do exist, and they, they, they still exist. And even the digital version is cumbersome. Anyways, point is, three books. Yeah, that was the first one I got. You want to take a guess at another number I was given on all the books? 50,000. Oh, no, 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 no. Nobody was realistically going to look at me with a straight face and tell me they read 50,000 books. Because here's another quick test question when you ask people, and not among people on this panel. Because, you know, I, I mean... It, 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 I, I can only imagine one of us maybe being not so well read because it's difficult for a blind guy to read. So I can imagine that I would be a guy who didn't read books, but, uh, but, but I do anyways, you know, we're, we're abnormal. You, I used to ask adults, how many books you've read? Forget about the subject matter. How many books have you read from beginning to end? Not counting the stuff you read in high school, you know, the stuff they made you read allegedly, and you probably skimmed or bought cliff notes for or whatever. No, no, no. How many books have you actually chosen to read books start to finish? You know, and that answer used to be less than 10 for most adults I would encounter. Now, maybe it's just because I was from Jersey. I don't know. But uh, it just seemed to be one of those things that just always happened anyway. The true answer, even, you know, 10 years ago on the JFK assassination is if you told me anything less than 1,000 books, you could not have possibly approached all the literature on the JFK assassination because uh, you needed at least a thousand back then. One thousand. And there's been a decade since. Okay. And, and that's what I knew of. It's possible. I didn't know all the books, but I knew certainly that I could list 1000 volumes on the JFK assassination. So when people tell me how well informed they are, it's always an amazing test to ask them a couple of interesting questions. And then when you find out what their uninformed solution is, it's even better. And that's the fun part is today now, a lot of people take legitimacy from documentaries. A lot of people take legitimacy from, I guess, I don't know, publishing a book anymore isn't so legitimate, right? Because anybody can do it. You can self-publish. You can claim to have a book out there, um, et cetera, et cetera. As a matter of fact, 
I know one guy who's got his name on a book that's being published pretty soon that I consider to be an absolute idiot who I used to work with in the uh, in, in media. I'm not going to mention any names. And uh, <coughs> Chris knows who I'm talking about. Uh, anyway, um, he, 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 he may be somewhere in a backwards mesking mess. Anyway, um, the thing is, <laughs> that's just, just for me and Chris right there. Anyways, um, the thing about it is, it, it is fascinating to me how many people tell you how well informed they are about a great many things, whether it be a real world thing, an actual social issue, something that is an ill that is damaging to all of us one way or another. Because, you know, those homeless people that cause, you know, the problems that are problematic, whether they're confronting you in front of a uh, an establishment or they happen to be messing up your neighborhood or they're just somebody that you run into when you make certain trips to the cities. Um you know, it causes problems for everybody. It is a residual thing that is going to do damage to a lot of other people when others are in unstable and desperate situations. Because that's usually when actions take place that can only be explained by desperation and dehumanization. Because once people don't have any value in their own lives and figure that no one else's life around them has any value, well, it gets a whole lot easier to kill them. It gets a whole lot easier to harm them. It gets a whole lot easier to take advantage of them, to rob them. It gets a whole lot easier because they're not really people, because you're not really people, and you don't really matter, and neither do they, and nor does anybody's life actually matter. Oh, did I step on an old phrase there? I might have. <laughs> no lives matter. And once you take on that attitude, how can you say it doesn't color your actions? How can you say that it doesn't create residual effects? How can you say that, you know, those mass shooters that we will get back to talking about once people run out of the outrage of the day that happens to be uh, guiding the MSM at the moment. I'm sure we'll get back to mass shootings again. And once we do, people will debate exactly why that's going on and never get to the bottom of it. Never get to why is it that human life is so easily expendable to some people for some reason, for some cause, whether it be political, whether it be religious, whether it be because their mental health has been challenged to such a degree that they simply find themselves in a circumstance where people don't matter. Anyway, well, isn't that the essence up. of the hierarchy stability though, Chuck? Like, and for the other people on the panel too, isn't it the the stability that it, that grants the elite their position right now? The fact that we never get to the root cause of the problem and like you could talk about that in the medical field you could talk about that in our political structure you could talk about that in our legal structure like lisa could break down and other people that we've conversed with it's just like the fact that we can never get to the root cause of the problem is what perpetuates our our situation right now it's not getting the right people in charge or anything like that it's it's, it's about realization i mean and then oh did we go dark do we still have everybody Okay, I'm still here. I, All right, I just want to make sure I didn't quiet. lose connection. You know, <laughs> we've had, we've had some connection yeah. issues today, so I'm looking out for this fucking gremlins. I'm gonna whack one of those with a fucking golf club if I see him. I, I got um, you. Hey, look, for no reason at all, we had an echo situation that held us up another ten minutes going live uh, with me. For some reason, I couldn't figure it yeah. out. And uh, yeah, so anyway, here a solid we. setup. I don't know what the fuck was going on, but uh, you know, gremlins. Still but uh, Chris, I mean, you've had you've had your experiences too. I mean, when you you were actually live with us while you were in LA, experiencing what it was like to see people living that homeless life, and the only thing between you and that life was a, a rental car that you were locked out of the first fucking night that you landed. 
<laughs> which yeah, I slept on a concrete bench in Burbank, California, which I have to say, considering the other areas of California, I was pretty lucky that it was Burbank that I had to sleep outside that first night. Yeah, yeah being man. homeless sucks, folks. I mean, you sent me pictures of that bench. It did not look comfy. <laughs> no, they have they had they made it so that you couldn't lie straight down on it. They had like uh, little little barriers in between, like to make seats or whatever. But it was mostly to keep stupid fucks like me, I guess, from being able to lay down uh, flat on their back. Well, what you, you know? pointed out there, Chris, is that I mean, and Chuck, you sort of pointed out in your statements too, is that aren't we engineering a society? that doesn't allow people in Chris's position there to exist. That, that actually the, the rules that we're creating consistently about homelessness around in states around the country, we're creating fucking homeless islands in Boston. Now I pulled a, a one about Rhode Island too, dealing with this. I mean, I've been what, to places like Colorado. Yeah. What I've been all them? over the country and seen this too. Like, it's just, I've, it exists and and we we're actually structuring our infrastructure to to sort of push these people away well where do they fucking go yeah there's a beautiful tent city in uh warner robbins georgia which is uh next to a a, a tremendous military base and a, a fairly nice suburbia but you know some of those abandoned stores there are tent cities that just pop up behind them because at least people can hide back there and disappear so that they're not being hassled, harassed, or being part of the eyesores that they're being called, right? So people do that everywhere. I mean, Warner Robins is not special. George is not special for certain. And it's cheaper to live here than a lot of other places. And still, you can get into a situation where it's not feasible. Well, and I just got a message from a listener that uh, it, it was a Daily Mail article here that I'm adding to this week's source list that there's more wildfires happening in Canada right now, and people are being displaced from their homes there. What happens to these people? Like in these, if we're going to have these massive disasters and fires, and I, I mean, hey, we can have the whole ask conversation sometime about what's causing them and just how this is being politicized and everything. But just focusing on the people, like you said, Chuck, earlier, which I appreciate you saying, is that, you know, when you're in situations, say, um, like this here, I'm going to pull up the screen share. Um, I have this article here about Hawaii residents slamming investors because they're calling these families and offering to buy their scorched land while they're still going through the ashes of their homes, while they're still burying their dead. Chuck, to take advantage of a person that's in mourning, that's in shock, it's mm -hmm. unconscionable for a business to do that. Like I, I'm all for buy low, sell high folks. I guess that works, right? I guess that's moral. But at this fucking point, that's not cool with me. No, like, look, cap capitalism is great. But think about this. If you've ever had a family member who lost, you know, say their partner or their child or whatever. I mean, is it appropriate to before they even get that body in the ground to come up to them and say, hey, what are you doing with this car? Uh, you know, what, what, what are you going to do with uh, what are you going to do with her collection of this or that? Because, you know, I'd be very interested in obtaining it and I'm sure you don't want it around. So I'd be more than happy to take it off your hand. You're going to discuss that while the still embalmed loved one is laying there or, or, or are you going to wait, you know, for them to get it to the funeral home? Because these people are still looking for their dead, you know, 
I mean, can, can we do that? I mean, I understand capitalism and I understand you got to invest and you got to get in at the right time. And I know this would be the right time because property values would be low if they've been all burned, to, you know, reduced to ashes. But, uh, you know, how about that? How about people's humanity and stop being a goddamn vulture? Well, it, go, it, go ahead. it changes the, the consent of the situation, does it not? Like, could anyone, even like the most diehard capitalist, like just fucking cold reptilian, you know, Richard Dawkins type of perspective of all of this, right? That that you you should at least be able to scientifically realize that when someone's in that type of trauma or mourning cannot and should not make any big legal decisions or anything like that or anything concerning money or property yeah. or, or things like that because your brain is not processing things in the right way. And Listen, then by your brain, no, your brain, your brain is not processing this correctly, Six. You know why? Because you're not thinking of it as the leverage and advantage that it actually is. Of course, they're traumatized. Of course, they're not thinking straight. Yeah. Again, it is very much like going to the wife of the guy who suddenly was just killed in a car accident and saying, you know what? You don't need his tools anymore. You don't know how to use those. How about if I come by and take those off your hands? I'm sure she's going to make a perfectly rational decision about what to do with his shed full of tools when that happens. I'm talking about a very common situation I've seen play out over yeah. and over again. Yeah. You're not thinking right about this. This, of course, is exactly the right time, Six. Uh -huh. If you don't care about the damage you cause in gaining what it is you gain. Absolutely. Snake gets egg, snake happy. And even worse, <laughs> when... when those exploiters are the one who cause the actual death, right? Well, that's that's the thing too that can always be mm -hmm. argued about these situations. The the entire Hegelian dialectic uh, that we see those who are at the top that have the ability to sort of swoop in whenever emergency happens um, and pick up things. I mean, when in history has that ever occurred before, folks? Strategy I mean, attention. I mean, could Is that have been in 2008 as well? I mean, I'm not even talking Strategy about the Depression. Gladio, you know? folks. Yeah. I mean, we're seeing again here. This is another headline, folks, for you listening. Big short investor Michael Berry uh, appears to bet on U.S. market crash with 1.6 billion position against the S&P 500 and NASDAQ indexes. So what if our economy takes a giant shit, panelists? What is that going to put everybody in the similar position as these folks in Hawaii that just had their lives taken from them? Like if everything that you have invested in and everything that you had riding on as far as like a retirement or even be able to afford your fucking mortgage just goes out the window tomorrow. Are you going to be in that same exact position where somebody's going to be making you an offer? Like that's what I see this. I see this pattern in human behavior and it's fucking disgusting. I don't know how to rid ourselves of it, if it's through culture, if it's through generations or what we do. But I, I mean, does it matter that the people at the top, does it matter where they're coming from? Does it matter if they're global or even if it's local? This, this type of behavior, should it be allowed? And, and, and if you can point out, like Lisa brought up, that the people that have an interest and making money off of this and gaining a tremendous amount of power and wealth that if they were part of the thing that manipulated the situation, what's the penalty for that? I asked this a lot recently because I'm not really seeing any penalties being leveraged against anybody of any substance, except for like the people and the people around us. Right. Mm -hmm. 
Well, that's, I mean, that that's the worst part of it. There will be no accountability. Who, where is the accountability going to, to come from? I mean, look, the puppet masters, come on. Well, master of puppets, Graves. Think they were onto something there? Just keep an eye on uh, this big short guy because because uh, in the past, you just look at the put options and the insider trading on 9-11 in the days before September 11th. And also look at the congressmen and the senators that cashed out with uh, insider trading before the lockdowns in March of 2020. Just keep an eye on this guy real closely. Well, that's well, even, the thing. These influencers, even, like somebody of his you know, status, right? Like, I don't know Michael Berry personally. I don't know if he's a straight shooter or not. I don't know what he, how he gains the knowledge that he gains. Who's tipping him off if that's happening? Wink, wink, right? Like, what, how, how much influence does it have to even print an article like this? Does this affect markets? Does this make people panic? You know, and, and doesn't that get perpetuated a lot in the alternative media too? Isn't it every fucking day that I go on YouTube or at Rumble or any other platform? where there's alternative speakers like ourselves going, this is it. Sky's fucking falling. Get your shotguns and your canned goods. It's happening, folks. It's happening. And I see it every fucking day for If an event now. happens, Infinite. just remember this story, folks, is all I'm saying. Yeah. And I, not that you shouldn't be prepared. Mm. Not that you shouldn't be able to help yourself and help others. Not that you shouldn't be familiar with your area. Not that you shouldn't be fit enough to walk away from your area if you can in the case of an emergency or something like that. But then also not that you should just be completely oblivious economically and not understanding that things that there is ebbs and flows, whether manipulated or not, and how you gain money and what that money is worth and what it can go towards and what's it's even six. available with it. In six, it's not even a, a matter of you being able to just get in your car and get away in a situation. Look how many people up to close to a hundred people said that the cops were boxing them in from uh, being able to escape. Well, that's so, what I'm saying, man. You can't you know, rely on those major arteries because they can be blocked off. Like if you if you live in an area where it's possible for you to get out of your area to another safe zone by walking, and you should be able to, I mean, if you have the ability, maybe train to be able to even do that. Like I've listened to people that have talked about that as a solution if something does really go down to be able to at least walk out of your area. There's people listening right now that might not be able to physically do that because they have health issues and other, I get that. But if you're if you're able-bodied, maybe get yourself to at least to the point where you could walk a couple miles and carry things or pull things because you're going to need water, you're going to need food at some point too, but you're definitely going to need some fucking water, all right? Um, See, no matter what you train heavy. to carry, but no matter what you train to carry on your back, okay? No matter what you train to do no matter what you think you have provisions for, et cetera, et cetera. There will always emerge situations that can exceed any resources you can assemble. Oh, truth. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. I'm talking about just getting to a safe zone oh, if yes. some shit happens, you know, but and be you able must, to survive it and help. But again, people. you must be educated enough to understand what a safe zone is. The True. people that you're going to be able to co cooperate with and collaborate with in order to survive because a lot of people think they can be an island onto themselves, and I wish you luck if that's it. But eventually, you're going to run out of shotgun shells and canned food, yep. okay? Or somebody's going to try and take it from you if you're well, weighed down that. by these things. If not, and you have mobility, you're going to have to know where to go and what to do. 
Because once you get out of the area, sure, you're out of the immediate danger zone, but then what? So there has to be a lot more consideration to this. And if there is no safe place to be, then you better learn how to generate a safe place. You better learn how to create that space somehow, how to create a coalition, a cooperation, something that is workable, right? These things are needed to be considered as well. And I got to tell you, I've known a lot of preppers over the years, and some of them are great people and everything. And I've heard over many decades now about the preparations that need to be had because coming very, very soon is the crash of the dollar, the crash of the economy. The U.S. system is almost over. It was supposed to end in 1990-something, according to Nostradamus. Then it was supposed to end on Y2K. Then it might have came to an end around 2001. All these things have come and gone, and surely we're still here and kicking yeah. somehow. Some the worse for wear, and some of us didn't make it out alive. But it's still going. It's still happening. And the immediate threat, the get ready because it's coming this year. How many times have you heard, get your gold and silver ready? How many times have you heard, make sure to get your storable food ready? How many times have you heard? I know I've heard it over and over and over again with people that say they've got reliable track records and know how to track the trends and everything else. And yet, doomsday doesn't quite arrive, but it will eventually. Yeah. So you got to be prepared. And it arrives in incre your... increments. Well, I believe that was part of the 90s too. Part of, part of what Alan Greenspan, I believe, you know, I would love for people to educate me more about this actually because my, my background in history is not with studying finance in any means. But from what I've gathered, Alan Greenspan was able to say, hey, instead of opening up the books and looking at it from an objective way, let's just let's just make it up. <laughs> let's make it up as we go along. Let's print money. Fuck it. It's just going to work, you know, because we're going to tell people it works. Oh, you mean if programming? <laughs> and and just like just like a placebo, if you tell enough people that something fucking works, it works, you know, and, and, and I think that we've gotten we've we've had this zombie economy since then. You know, and, and every every generation, every power, every political power, whether it be Orange Jesus or Obama, um, and then fucking uh, the Bushes that you brought up before. Oh, geez. Like all those people. <laughs> I mean, and then, Chuck, I mean, when you were coming up, you had Reagan and those types of economics being pushed on you, too. And that bullshit. I mean, I'm sure that you were telling people that the voodoo economics, I mean, for someone that deals in the esoteric <laughs> How, how, how much of a shame it is to attach those two things, maybe? <laughs> uh, you know what? But, but appropriate, because <laughs> at the same time, you. you know, voodoo economics is extremely appropriate. Here's, here's the, the saddest part of the whole story is that, you know, the idea that, that, that Greenspan and these guys figured out, hey, look, we don't need to do, uh, you know, a fractional reserve banking. Why reserve anything? We don't got to go according to those rules. We can just let it fly. You know why? Because people will have faith in the system, and as long as they do, that's what actually retains the value in it. The only reason why the dollar has value is because people believe it does. If nobody accepted it for trade, it has no value. End of story. <laughs> I mean, you know, you don't believe me? I'll tell you what. You go ahead and try and get yourself a, um, well, let, let's try a silver piece that was printed in Germany during a certain time period. Uh, which uh, which has a swastika on it. Now you try and go and buy a gallon of milk with that, even though you have an amount of silver in that coin that's well worth the gallon of milk. Go ahead and try and buy it with it. It could probably get you a few beers at that bar you played that one time. 
If you go to the right bar, it'll get you a few beers. What was that G Willikers? Don't go to G Willikers, folks. All right. Pen, I hate to shit on any business, but just saying. Pen, Pensauken, <laughs> New Jersey. Pensauken, New Jersey. It's got Yosemite Sam on the sign. As far as I know, still to this day, it may indeed still be a white supremacist skinhead type joint. Anyways, not the place to go. But if you have your Nazi coins, bring them there. They will sell. And uh, I guarantee you'll be able to get a drunk on if you got a pocket full. But anyway. Choose the Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> I don't know if they work in the Chuck E. Cheese machine. Aren't they out of business? I think they went bankrupt. No, Chuck E. Cheese is very much alive and well on the East Coast here, yes. And I heard that they reuse pizza. Ooh, well, they'll, that's they'll take the Nazi coins, too. Yep. <laughs> We get a letter from Chuck E. Cheese. That's the one. That's the one person we talk shit on the FBI and CIA. We get a letter from Chuck E. Cheese. Like, please cease and desist. I'm like, and please, desist, please yeah. help us out. <laughs> the fucking animatronic fucking mouse is coming after us, Lisa. Okay, they do. They do currently exist, but I'm certain they filed for bankruptcy. I, I'm. I'm going to look that up right There's now. There's one in North. Time. Yeah, you don't even have to. There's one in North Attleboro, Massachusetts, that I drove by the other day. They were probably I, bought up by some sort of DARPA cutout, <laughs> to be honest with you. DARPA? You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> let, let's feed them chemicals with the yeah, pizza. Cheese is, the cheese um, is suspect. Let, let's put them in the video games to, you know, we can okay. we can watch their eye movement. And we can gain all this. See, now, <laughs> but this is where you got to check the efficacy of people's statements, okay? Just to yes. be certain. Here's the funny part. Both Chris and I are correct. Oh. First of all, Chuck E. Cheese does still exist, but... They did file for Chapter 11 bankruptcy in June of 2020. Okay, mm -hmm. just saying, they did go bankrupt, and they did close up, and I know the ones near me are gone. Yeah. Two uh, things two things can be true at the same time. Isn't that interesting? They did file for bankruptcy, but they did, like many other companies, you know, those people that are allowed because they have something of value, apparently, according to the system, are allowed to emerge from bankruptcy. Now, if I go bankrupt, I can't even afford to go bankrupt. But anyway, back to it. Uh, I know, yeah. I know, right? I mean, go explain. <laughs> yeah. So I just, I just want to do go bankrupt. The fact yeah, that yeah. there's different levels of bankruptcy, right? That oh, there's yeah. just different applications of what that term could even be blanketed over, and what protections people get and don't get, and especially the income level that you exist in at the time where it happens. Absolutely. So look, yeah, I wasn't Wall shitting. Street, Wall Street gets protected, and we get fucked. Of course, of course. I, but just for the record, I wanted to make sure I put in the chat here the, uh, the, the, the article from Restaurant News Magazine or something like that. I think it's uh, something. Anyways. Uh, you're right, Chuck. You're right. One of them. No, no, but so are you. Uh, they do yeah. still exist. <laughs> See, that's the thing. I know. I almost went in there just to, for the hell of it. <laughs> and, and this is why people must very carefully study the statements that they hear. Now, a lot of things sound good and sound reliable and sound correct. But it doesn't mean that they are. And it also doesn't mean that a quick cursory search on the Internet is the only way to go to do research either. Yep. Some people have skills when it comes to that. And some people are more efficient at it, like my friend Mr. Graves here, is very efficient at yes. Internet research. He's also not an idiot. No, I've walked into places, too. I've actually gone no. and done boots on the ground stuff. But I'll tell you, one guy I know, and his name is Peter Seacosh. He oh, is yeah. really boots on the ground. He'll go into old libraries and find microfilm and all kinds of stuff. Yeah, yeah. this is what I used to do yeah. uh, all the time. And, you know, some of us have been to the National Archives. Some of us know how to find the RIF numbers. Some of us don't. I know all that. And, yes, yeah, some of these things are available online. But I assure you the whole world is not available online. 
I wasn't saying that you only do internet research. I was just saying oh, you are especially like skilled. <laughs> I didn't yes. finish. You are especially skilled with that. Okay. Yeah. Reason why I bring it up though is because the, the whole purpose of me being here today actually is that was not to find get out that there was a Chuck E. Cheese in Dealey Plaza, I believe. Somebody might try it. Why not? Put it there with George H.W. Bush. Um, anyway, <laughs> that's about how real that is, too, by the way. Guy wasn't there. I don't know how to keep telling this. And this is why Russ Baker gave me the stink eye the last time I saw him. But anyhow, the, the, the truth is this. A lot of things sound good. Um, and we're going to do a special very soon. We're going to do a watch along on yes. a documentary, which is emerging, which is apparently catching fire among a lot of people that do challenge directly a lot of official stories. And I don't want to announce the name of the documentary today. I think we should reserve that, guys, okay. for yeah. now. Um, but there is one particular documentary that is seeming to grab people's imaginations because there are a lot of interesting and fascinating, in some cases, new tales to be told here, new solutions to old problems when it comes to not just the JFK assassination, but the theories, brand new theories. Uh, indeed, JFK might have faked his death, but he didn't turn out to be Jimmy Carter, uh, according to these guys. Okay. And and I got to say that with, Wait, you know, is, I'm was trying... that actually a thing? Somebody turned out to be. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, that's a thing. Uh, look, I did a because whole Jimmy series. Jimmy Carter's hair was parted on a different side at one point. <laughs> yeah. I, I did I did uh, uh, 13 episodes of something I called the JFK myths, okay? And in those episodes, I have come up with tons of stuff and uh, only pissed people off with one of those episodes being on the official story. The rest of it is about the misinformation, disinformation, misunderstandings, antiquated ideas in conspiracy culture. Um, with, uh, with at least two episodes, I think, entirely dedicated to Judith Berry Baker. Anyways... The thing is, uh, I, I go over these things and not mythologically explaining them because I disagree with somebody's solution, because I have a difference of opinion. Well, that's your opinion. No, 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 no. no. Let's get into the real of it. Let's get into if you're not well read, how do you challenge the official explanation? If you've never read the Warren Commission, not even the single volume that you know summarizes it, how are you challenging their assertions by secondhand understanding? Okay. Thing is, there are people that didn't do their homework all the time. There are people that push interesting ideas because, uh, again, you know, going back to that whole who you wake up with in the morning from the tequila discussion. Yes. Sometimes you get your beer goggles on, you're in the bar. Oh, well, you know, you might be drunk at Chuck E. Cheese, but not my style. Um, thing no, I'm saying waking up next to Chuck E. Cheese. Uh, you could wake up next to Chuck E. Cheese, or you could wake up next to the chick that you thought was gorgeous at 3 a.m. last night and realize maybe you were just very drunk. Um, and some people don't want to admit that that's what they did, and they'll tell their friends they woke up to a solid seven, even though it was more like move the decimal point over. Um, One night I did five twos. <laughs> yeah, that's five twos. There you go. Uh, the George Carlin thing. I got you. Yes. But yeah. look. The deal is this. If you don't understand the material and you don't know the history and you don't know provable, observable things, like, for instance, if you're saying that there's only one film that captured the moments of the assassination at all, then you don't know what you're talking about. If you say that there were no witnesses to the assassination, you don't know what you're talking about. If you say that everybody who was in the proximity of the assassination died right away, 
you don't know what you're talking about. There's a lot of things that I could say that are provably, observably, objectively untrue in a lot of people's statements. And they build theories upon a lot of untrue statements. And forget about the JFK assassination, because people do this all the time. In other areas, other points of interest, they'll start telling you about how they know everything about a particular thing, but they weren't aware of a court case that was filed. They'll tell you that something has never been on the record anywhere, even though I've got a transcript of it. They'll tell you that nobody ever made a statement, even though I can quote it all over the place. And by the way, you can find the person who was quoted not being misquoted, but verifying that that quote was correct somewhere on a recording. They might have changed their mind later, but things are sometimes as you have to find them. And unfortunately, if you didn't study the evidence at all, it's difficult to make fantastic assertions based on a poor study of evidence. And this is a constant theme in many different areas of research. I mean, people that say things about 9-11 that are provably untrue. Yes. You know? 9-11, Sandy Hook, Vegas, everything. Everything. And But then they base some very interesting theories that are attractive to some people for well, let's just call it what it is, prejudice. You have a prejudgment about an event. You have a prejudgment about something. You actually want to get to a particular conclusion. You want to get to a solution. You have a solution in mind because you like it, and that's fine and dandy. But find the evidence to back it up, and the only way to find that evidence is to study as much as is available that you can. If you've never looked at any of the photographic evidence, don't tell me about the photographic evidence and what it doesn't contain. And again, not just about JFK, but about 9-11. You could tell me it's all fake, and if that's the case, fine. To me, that's a very interesting out for a lot of people, and certainly it works. If you declare every single thing absolutely illegitimate in a pile of evidence, you can then make up a story. But I'm curious as to what you're making it up on what it is you're utilizing to build that case, what it is you're utilizing to create an image or a documentary. I'm curious about that when you declare everything fake. But here's the thing. If you make provable, stupid, stupid comments about things because you say that something was part of an official ex, you know, investigation that was not, that we have no evidence of it ever being part of, if you tell me that something was obtained by a certain person and that person never had the ability to obtain that thing, if you tell me that, you know, somebody who was in, I don't know, Idaho at the time, and we know based on a whole lot of evidence they were in Idaho at the time is suddenly in Dealey Plaza. If you tell me that, uh, Bill O'Reilly, <coughs> absolutely. Well, you know, well, that was Florida. But anyway, uh, if you tell me that, you know, no one died on 9-11 at all. I find that fascinating and want to know how you can back that one up because to say no one died, I think you should very much start with a guy named Robert McElvain. Talk to him and see what he tells you about his son yep. being alive the day before and then maybe not being alive as of that day. I mean, there's one guy that definitely died. Yeah. You know, not to mention the other 2,800, whatever the count is. This is why, yes. this is why court transcripts are so important, provable, stupid statements. Mm -hmm. 
but Lisa, you, you got to understand, as, as someone who is presenting a case, right? Help me out here. If you're presenting a case, it's not a good idea to not be aware of certain things that you're, you're trying to, like, in other words, when you're telling a story, and that is what a lot of lawyers got to do in a courtroom, is tell a story one way or another. Either they're doing it directly, sometimes in summation, right? You, you got to tell a story. If you're using elements uh, to tell that story that are not well studied, if you say, look, nobody has a photograph of this, and your opponents in that courtroom pull out photographs of that thing, you have problems here. Alex Jones's attorney, and you're like, nobody has those emails. Yeah. I mean, if, if you say, look, there's no record of this or that, and because you didn't bother to find out if there was such a record that exists, if if you say that this could not be proven to have happened because no money changed hands, and you don't know that your opponents have things on their table there that show that, you know what, we have financial transactions here listed showing where money went. If you can say, look, nobody knows where this person was, and somebody says, yeah, but the problem is we have the GPS on his car and his phone, and they both say that this guy was here. It's a bad thing when you don't know what the hell you're talking about, and you're supposed to be telling a jury a story. Is it not, Lisa? Well, and the biggest problem, though, is, though, when you're supposed to be in a forum where you're, you're it's supposed to be about being able to vet the truth but then when all when you got these players including the judge who want to manipulate what can come in what you know yeah. does come in i mean it, it lots of illusions are created aren't they absolutely true but see your responsibility as a presenter there though begins with you having as much knowledge about the things that you're going to present on as possible. You need to know your own evidence first. I mean, to even stand a chance of getting things entered into evidence or becoming part of the record or being seen by that audience point, slash though, jury, right? Oftentimes, though, as a presenter, your hands are tied behind your back from, from a kangaroo court system. That's where the real problem comes in, right? I mean... okay. Fair the enough. situation's being controlled where you can present the objective truth to people, I think is what Lisa's point is. And I, I get yes, that. Yes, yeah, yes. I, I also get what Chuck is saying. Like, you have to go into that that oh, battle I, as prepared uh -huh. as possible. No, that. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the problem with most lawyers. What Chuck is pointing out is what's, what's the, pro the inherent problem, okay, with the presentation. Well, here's the thing. Regardless of what it is they're going to do to the presentation afterwards, regardless, if you're not well read in, <laughs> what are you doing? You're doing a disservice to begin with, right? Because you're the presenter. You, you can't possibly be armed with anything that can get in there, whether it's good or bad, and no matter how they're going to try and stop you and this and that. See, that's the thing. Well, there's an art to that, in this though, case, isn't there, Chuck? I mean, with someone with your research experience, like you make it part of your daily practice. You maybe have a space in your home or a time of the day that you dedicate to that sort of thing, too. That's something that people have to put in into practice, right? Well, you got to know the material in order to be able to actually make the assertions is my point. Yes. See, yes. What, what they're going to do with it afterwards is here's the thing. I can come up with great stuff. But YouTube won't let me present it. That's fine. YouTube, in this case, is the judge saying, nope, I'm not going to allow that into evidence. Okay. And the audience is still the audience. They're the jury in this scenario. 
So the thing is, okay, maybe I take it over to Rumble or somewhere else. Great, I get a different judge and I can get things through. But if I don't know my own material to begin with, and I'm going to build a story based on that material, which is what I'm trying to get at here, is the narrative that you try to build, the case that you build, has to be based on your best efforts of knowing that material in the first damn place. Because if you don't, you don't stand a chance. If they're loaded against you, they're loaded against you anyway. You don't know what you're talking about. You're going to build a false narrative. You're going to build a BS case, and this is how you get beat. Mm -hmm. Definitely, even if the court is being fair, even if the jury is being fair, which, you know, usually it's not on both counts, but nonetheless. You need to get to the first, the first source of information. The, the yes. uh, you know, the um, original source always, I mean, you know, uh, as best as you can. I mean, that's always, you know, the the crux of it. You have to do the digging to get to the original. The primary source, the primary sources and the primary information. And then when you start to make your statements and you start to make conclusions, those conclusions need to be backed up by that stuff called evidence. So if you turn around and you say, hey, look, there is no way of knowing where this guy was in a criminal case, or you say, look, we know that he was in this place. you got to show. Where is that? Where, show us. How is it you're saying that this person is there? Show me their phone. Show me how they, you knew they had their phone with them. Show me how their car also matches up. Show me, you know, because they use a lot of digital stuff nowadays. Show me a witness that saw them there. Show me those things to back up the assertion when you're even trying to put somebody in a place, right? And so you got struck, like in this case, Sometimes people just want to make a quick buck and they know that with this generation, people don't go and fact check the real facts. I'm not talking about fact checkers, folks I'm talking about just regular viewers are not going to go and check to see if they're full of shit or not. And I see, think that's the thing. In this case, I think it's a monetary thing. It, it may or may not be monetary. I don't know, because some people I, I do believe just love the attention and want to be the expert and want to be the guy who solved this or came up with the new thing, whatever it may be. I don't even want to speak to their motive. But here's what I know. I'm going to just give you the one, for instance, from this thing that really pissed me off just to get things rolling from this JFK thing. A statement made was that the Warren Commission had found uh, audio evidence and the Zapruder film and used these two things together, the audio evidence being a Dictabelt recording of a stuck open microphone from a motorcycle Okay, which wasn't used, even the Warren Commission. That was the the House Select Committee on Assassinations. Where the, I was going. Okay, sorry. So, <laughs> sorry, you, sorry. so you misidentified. But see, Chris and I know this. Not everybody listening might know that. And they might vaguely have heard of the audio stuff. They might vaguely have heard of the Zapruder film. And somebody might say, hey, look, you know, there was also splices in the Zapruder film. And nobody ever mentioned it. Uh, okay, first of all. If you even go back to the Warren Commission, they printed dude, dude, the Zapruder they, film. They, they don't even show you the uh, the limousine turning onto Elm Street. We already know about the there's splices everywhere. These yeah. people, I can't. Oh God! But anyway, my point is is that people make those assertions and then go on to build upon those assertions, which are strictly false. It's not a matter of opinion, by the way, folks, and it's not just a matter of being picky. It's a matter of you build your case based on facts. 
if you're going to state something as a fact, back it up and don't just give me the vague assertion and move forward. And that's always the problem, right? Like we just did with this Chuck E. Cheese thing. Hey, I know Chuck E. Cheese went bankrupt. Well, I know they still exist. Okay, let's go look and see what can be publicly observed. And then maybe you got to get into some other things and take a look at what's really happening. I mean, what happened after the bankruptcy? I don't know. Uh, but apparently it's still running. So I would say both things turn out to be true. They did go bankrupt indeed. They even tried to do a delivery service at one point. I know that because I observed it in real time. But um, here we are. You check these things. You go and take a look at it. And indeed, a quick search on the internet is not always the answer, but can answer a great many questions. Like the idea that there's only one film of the assassination. That's yeah. complete idiocy. Uh, there are many films, and there are four films that I know of that captured the headshot. So, you know, what are we talking about here? Now, there's only one from one particular angle that exists currently. That's true. He doesn't bring up the Orville Nix film. Um, the other film, I can't remember at the moment, but there's all kinds Nix. of things. The thing that bothers me, yeah. Chuck, is that they say this is the be-all, end-all, case closed. They solved it. It's put to bed. That's what right. bothers me the most. Many people have said that. And the funny thing is, again, uh, and just for the record, Nick's much more Bell and Zapruder all capture the yes. headshot. Uh, but and that and those are the known films. Is it possible there is further evidence? Is it possible? Uh, yes, indeed. And in fact, there's a still photo that's very close to the time of the headshot. Mary Mormon. Taken by Mary Mormon Kramer. Correct. Nice lady, by the way. I really appreciated her when I met her in 2017 for the first time. Uh, but she was she only... is not the babushka lady. Also, people make that mistake too, right? Oh, oh no, no, no. I, I don't think anybody's ever confused Mary Mormon with the babushka lady. But no, if I they have, that. please yeah. don't. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and by the way, the babushka lady. There's there's uh, four of them that I can track in the photos. That's there's right. four ladies with babushkas on. But anyways, just saying. Don't they all if fit you actually... inside of each other. I've seen those things. No, I'm not. yeah, like the Russian dolls. Uh, Russian <laughs> yeah. nesting dolls. Yeah. It, it is almost that funny at this point. But look, the point is that if you're going to make a statement like that, back it up. Tell me that, you you know, look, I've seen all of these films at least. And, I, and by the way, there's about, eh, I think, 25 that capture the, say, minute and a half of the car going through just making that turn and going down that block. I mean, you know, yeah. there's like 25 films capture part of that. About that, yeah. And not all of them are on Bob Groden's VHS tape, which was pl plenty, plenty available to a lot of people for a long time. It's not as though these are just hidden, very specified, only, you know, only certain researchers got to see these films and things. There are publicly observable and obtainable things out there where you could at least sharpen your knowledge on it. Now, look, again, some people might even be bored with the JFK assassination at this point. But it's important if you're going to tell us that you have a solution. If you're going to tell us that, uh, you know, uh, certain people are having affairs with other people, if you're going to tell us that uh, you know exactly what happened and JFK didn't even die that day, if you're going to tell us that they used a certain other person's body in no, the uh, autopsy, back it the hell up. Don't just show me a picture and say, see, they look kind of similar, which, by the way, if you have very good photographs, uh, they don't. They're not at all. <laughs> um and, and there is photographic evidence of the other person's autopsy separate from JFK's, by the way. And 
Indeed, there is a bootleg set of uh, JFK photographs that has gone around for a long time and have been copied and recopied, etc. But the ones that retain most of the information still sit in the National Archives under a deed of gift for the Kennedy family, and only a handful of uh, uh, living researchers have seen them, mostly medical people who have gotten special permission from the Kennedy family to view them. Anyways, if you don't know that, then you don't know about the medical evidence, huh? It, you know, these are indisputable things, though. This isn't about opinion. This isn't about, oh, you're a conspiracy theorist, so you say this. I'm talking about the objective facts. So well, Chuck, we're going to do a study you, on that. Let me ask you this. Yeah. Um, if you had the opportunity to actually ask these filmmakers or filmmakers that make movies like these, what would be the, your top two questions for them? Well, you know, I've tried to talk to some people that make some bad assertions in their films before, and some people are extremely well known, uh, like uh, our friend Mr. Hanky, not the Christmas poop, uh, but uh, the other say, guy. You know, Mr. Hanky, I was like, oh. no, John <laughs> Hanky. Yeah, I've gotten into it with him too. John Hanky, yeah. Look, if you're going to do things like, you know, uh, make certain statements in your film, <laughs> please back them up. Back it up. He's yeah. a great filmmaker. He really is. He's entertaining. He's engaging. And it's very, very sad to me that he could be so useful in presenting real information about a lot of things and does indeed present some really interesting stuff regarding JFK Jr.'s death, I think. Um, yeah, he does. But then he makes wild uh, accusations after the fact that kind of cancel out a lot of stuff. <laughs> but, but that's the thing, is when you start making the wild assertions because they're built on poorly collected pieces of information, this is where things go off the rails. You indeed could say that there's no evidence of something if you're not aware that it exists. You could say that nothing was recovered if you think that's the case, despite the fact that you never bothered to look and see if something was recovered. Exactly. You know, you, you could talk about... Uh, uh, bullets that were alleged to have uh, landed somewhere. But if you don't have them in hand and you don't have a witness to them and you don't have somebody with a chain of custody picking them up, you got problems is all I'm saying. And you could make assertions based on a theory. You could make suppositions about things and you could say, suppose this happened and we could build off of that. But don't tell me that definitively, you know, something. When you don't even know the baseline of the evidence, you don't know all the names, you, you, you describe somebody as a director of the CIA that was never a director of the CIA, you, you, you tell me about somebody being in charge of something that was not in charge of that at the time, you can't get somebody's name correct, you don't know the lawyer's name. I mean, there are a lot of interesting things here where if you're supposed to be presenting the definitive truth, you should have knowledge of the baseline information that's available, which is why I did a 101 series on the JFK assassination, which is kind of boring to some people. But I sat there and I went through all of the official uh, investigations to describe them, to say what came out of them, to give people an idea of the players involved, the actual process. What is it that they did? What is it they didn't do? And I took about a year to do that with Larry Hancock on my show, one at a time. Why? Because people who make assertions about those investigations mix them up, make mistakes, say that they came to conclusions that didn't, you know, and 
I'd rather that they start with good information because by all means, I'd love to see a grand solution to all of this. But unless we're well read in on this circumstance or any other that we find important enough to investigate, if we don't begin with the correct information, the publicly observable, the publicly obtainable, if you don't begin with the open source, at least, how are you ever going to discover that which is hidden if you don't know what's already available? You know, forget about seeing the forest for the trees. If you don't know where to get to the forest on the map, what are we talking about here? A story you made up. Okay. And if that's what it is, it's fiction. Identify it as such. Otherwise, go back and do the homework, please. Especially before you make grand declarations and you give attractive solutions to people that are also not well read in. And you present them as the new truth. Because here's closed. the thing about it. There yeah. is no new truth. There is objective truth with a capital T. Can we get to it? Not like this. So that's where I leave it. And we're going to do a special breakdown on this and hopefully demonstrate to people what it's like to examine these things and get a headache like I do every single time because I can't stand it anymore. Why is it people are buying these attractive solutions? Why is it that people wanted to believe that Jackie Kennedy was sleeping with Bobby Kennedy? In the 60s. Why is it oh, that Johnson? People... Oh, don't don't go there just yet. Uh, why is it that people wanted to believe that you know it's because JFK smoked pot that somebody had to kill him? Why is it that people believe that absolutely it had to be a mafia killer? Because oh my, oh my, oh my. Anyway, I leave it at that, guys, because that's uh, about as far as I want to take it until we actually break this down. And I think in real time it'll be interesting. Yeah, to take interested parties that'll be read in at different levels. Um, I think I know a little more about the case than Chris, but Chris, I think, knows a little more about the case than Six does. And I'm not sure about Lisa's level of awareness. So this ought to be interesting to get a diverse view if we take this all together and we tear apart something objectively with information. Excellent. Because I want to see what's attractive to you. What what makes sense? What sounds good to you as somebody who hasn't tortured themselves with this crap for, you know, decades? Um, you know, which, by the way, makes you smarter than me. But it doesn't mean that you have no, a level I of just, knowledge in I this just, case. No, I'm just <laughs> tortured uh, of seeking truth on, on a different, <laughs> on a different aspect. So I'm still tortured. <laughs> just like me with the Jersey girls, you got a different taste in torture. I got you. Yes. I understand. Okay. Mm -hmm. Fair enough, but it'll be interesting because, like I said, I think we're right there. We have a diverse level of information here. Um, and, and Chris, I don't know. Maybe you know more about the case than I do. I, I, I don't know for sure, but I know certain areas. I'm certain that I'm better read in. No, I know um, more. I'm more more about uh, JFK, 9/11, uh, and everything else than you do, sir. Okay, fair enough. No. <laughs> Listen, I, I and you yeah, notice I don't even challenge him. On no, <laughs> this is like something Chuck's been researching his whole life. Well, and to Chuck's point too, I mean, uh, there is knowing, there is having a lot of knowledge, or at least ones that you assume that are knowledge. But the important fact is, and the fact that what's going to be exciting about this, I think, is that all of us um, have our own methods and ways. And this is something that we ran into as well with uh, our, one of our last conversations with Chuck too on the show about reality. Yeah. Is right. that how to discern what's objective versus subjective? Like in the in the very basis of your researching of anything, that that 
critical point of being able to look at something and judge whether it is objective or subjective will mean a world of difference from where you take that story from from that starting point. If you accept something that's subjective as objective when you start out, then every single thing that you build upon that story is going to fall apart at some point. Like I'll you tell you up. this. I'll tell yeah. you this right now. Uh, Chuck and Donald Jeffries, they have me beat when it comes to JFK. Even Peter Sikosh has me beat. But I think maybe one of the only things uh, I might have a heads up on all of them, just because it's not really well known, is Things like uh, Columbine and the J and JFK Jr.'s thing, which uh, Donald knows a lot about too, and Chuck does too. Um, but that that was one that I, I spent a, lo a lot of years on. JFK, I've always been uh, interested in just because it's the uh, the beginning of all this stuff, this high corruption, at least mm -hmm. in our modern times. And um, yeah, I wouldn't take that away from anybody like, like Chuck's been a lifelong researcher of that same with, with Donald and everything, but with JFK jr, like the, the lesser known things, you know, that I, I would look into like the TWA 800 things, stuff like that. Oklahoma city. I think Chuck knows a lot about too, but, uh, and I had to debunk a lot of things in doing that research. Right, Chris? Like well, yeah, you have a lot of say, shit. <laughs> yes. There is a lot of crap in all these areas. Um, well, see, but but that's, yeah, what's, no. that's what's yeah. universal here is that there, there is a whole lot of garbage that you got to get through that gets popularized, right? Once there's an area of interest that's agreed upon. And I think what was interesting about the Mandela discussion on this show that we did uh, a few months ago was that I could show with that demonstration the difference between people's different levels of going after that information and what it is they were retaining. Um you know, even the even the point at which Lisa goes and checks with her mother. Do you remember this? Yeah, right. That was awesome. That, that was, was awesome. great because it, in real time we got to examine how it is certain things might have just settled into our brains that are not at the front of our research necessarily, but are just given supposed facts in the world. It's interesting to examine that and say, you know what? Even though you think you got a handle on everything you may not know it all. And there may be good reasons for that. Um, and some of it is changing in real time because new things are being discovered, new things are being shared, but there is something else happening there as well. So I think what's fascinating here is we're going to get a good look at what it's like to go through this and find out why it is that disinformation works so well, because you can reverse engineer this in any way you want to go. Any of these topics that you think is important, it doesn't matter if it's, you know, Sandy Hook or if, if it's JFK or if it's 9-11 or if it's how a war got started. You know what? Take it apart the correct way. Get at the information. Recognize the disinfo, sometimes by official sources and sometimes by those that want to make myths for their own causes. Yeah. Sometimes to gain celebrity, sometimes, as Chris points out, to make money. Sometimes just to be the smartest guy in the room, somebody will do this, which is what I think the guy who was telling me that, you know, reading three or five books on the JFK assassination covered it all because he wanted to be the smartest guy in the room. And I bet in a lot of rooms before he ran into the one with me in it, that explanation flew just fine. You read three books on that? Well, you must know it already. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And you got to be able to admit that you're wrong, too. Well, that's the other thing. I mean, extra points if they were pop-up books, because those are my favorite growing up, but still. Listen, I love those as well. Um, oh, my but, God. Does that bring back memory? Oh, my. 
I had a particular circus one that I absolutely loved. I had one for Playboy. Yeah. We're going nice. to make one about Chris's experiences in Branson. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> I will buy that. I'd rather make one about my LA times. Oh, yeah. There's going to be sequels, man. We're going to make a whole series out of these. It's got to be, be a series. Elastic gold medal for all of them. <laughs> the Graves and Steen Bears go to Hollywood. Um, okay. <laughs> hey, that's some, uh, that's some Mandela stuff here, fella. In I a know. new documentary. <laughs> I know. Yes. Absolutely. The funniest Be part about the the, the funniest part about the uh, Mandela thing with Berenstein, Berenstein, is that uh, one of the most relevant books in my early childhood is is a book called Bears in the Night, and uh, it, it was so funny to me that that was part of it because it was like that was the first book that I can recollect my father read to me, right? And wow. uh, yeah, so it was like, wow okay, you guys are playing with this. And by the way, I'm apparently part of the universe that, uh, yeah, the spelling's always been correct. It's just, I've always heard it said different ways. Mm -hmm. uh, always. <laughs> Even as a kid, Berenstein, Berenstein. Uh, people have said it all different ways and it's always been spelled the same as far as I'm concerned. But I had to question it for a moment because wait a minute, what happened to that book? And oh, by the way, it didn't exist for a little bit, and then they reprinted it at some point. So I went and got reprinted copies of it. There's a whole story to that too. But again, I, I, I turn around and try to dig things up properly. And by the way, I've been wrong before too. Uh, yeah. Everybody, uh, you know, at one time I thought the French gunman scenario was very solid in the JFK assassination. You weren't really alone. Did. Was this the source of the issue with your with the French or? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's another tale for another time. No, that's just blind. That's just my blind uh, bigotry against French people. Um, I can't help it. Anyway, uh, yeah, that's the one group on the planet that I really don't care what happens to. Um, anyway, a double meaning hmm? <laughs> with the blind thing, the blind hatred. Does that have a yeah. double type of? You caught that. Thank you. I did. Uh, All right. <laughs> these are the jokes, folks. Um, so Chuck, are you from the universe that still thinks that? Governor Con Connolly and Nelly weren't in the car. <laughs> oh no, 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 no. I'm not from that universe. No. Okay. All right. Also not from the idiotic universe that thinks the assassination was broadcast live on TV. I'm not from that universe either. That used um, to be no. <laughs> okay. Hey, you some know, people, it, yeah, some people to this day claim they saw that, that the live. That was not the case, folks. It was not broadcast live at all. And, and and some people claim that there were no television cameras there, but there is one. And in fact, there's one of a guy running up the hill that's like, uh, if you have any sort of problems with motion sickness or vertigo, don't watch it. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> there's a black there is, and white. The same guy that is uh, filming the Newmans on the ground, I believe, right? He captures them, yeah. When he stops running around, he sees them on the ground. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, which is not where the color images of the Newmans come from. The color images of the Newmans come from a film that was uh, created by a White House photographer. But anyway, that became a documentary called, I think, The Last Two Days, uh, off the top of my head, which also contains footage of uh, the motorcade and stuff. Actually, most of the stock footage you've seen in uh, documentaries for, I don't know, 50 years. Yeah, I've been uh, trying to get the Newmans on a Chuck show, my show, Donald's show for a couple of years now, and they're still alive, so... They're, they were the closest to the assassination besides people in the car. Physically, you know? physically, I think they were literally logistically the closest people to the uh, time of the headshot. Yeah. Uh, and they uh, they fell on the ground and covered their children, the two of them. Uh, I yep. think he was 19 at the time. 
That's why uh, they're still alive because they, they were so young at the time. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Of course, across the street was a guy named Charles Bram who was there with his very young son as well. I do believe he passed away, though. Uh, Bram. Yeah, he's gone. Yeah, but he was on the opposite side of the street with his son and uh, had recognized the sound of gunshots because he had been uh, in combat. And uh, yeah, and initially uh, the crowd turned on him and uh, tried to start attacking him. Uh, the police had to take him and his son away so that he wouldn't be attacked. And it was the sheriff's department, I think, Decker's people took him away. But you know, anyway. What was, the, what was the name of the guy? Was it Gordon Arnold who claimed to uh, be the one that filmed James Files behind the fence? Gordon Arnold claimed to be, if, if uh, in the Badgeman photo, claimed to be the blur next to Badgeman. Yeah, but he claimed that he was carrying a home video camera too, right? Yes. He, okay, yeah, yeah. The, and that the guy who is Badgeman jumped over the fence and started kicking him and took his film away, he said. Yes. That's right, okay. And it, am I mixing the James Files thing too? Because James Files was in a documentary like maybe... 10 years ago, and he still claims that he was the grassy knoll shooter. You know the one I'm talking about, Chuck? Yeah, of course. Uh, a couple of them, actually. Uh, yeah. But it was James yeah. Files that still makes the claim, right? That he was uh, the grassy Well, I don't know, because we haven't heard from uh, we haven't heard from James Files since his release from prison, because he's been released from prison, even though he promised that he would uh, give the full story if he was ever released. He has not done it uh, past few right. years, yeah. even though he's been out. But yeah, um, that guy, right. And probably they brought up Gordon Arnold during that documentary uh, to say that there was a badge man. And some people have tried to make James Files into badge man. But James Files assertions, if you very carefully listen to what he has to say, um, you know, turn out to have problems. He claims to be the guy shooting on the knoll. And uh, where he claims to be, there's no photographic evidence for anybody being there and uh, et cetera. Yeah, that's right. But, uh, you know. And he also claims to have scored a headshot that uh, is not, you know, um, not represented in any of the evidence present. So either you have all the evidence altered and James Files is telling the truth or James Files is making up a story. And uh, kind of like so, Charles Harrelson was as well, that he well, was a grassy knoll shooter, too. Well, Woody Harrelson's father, literally, um, who was uh, kind of a member of what you would call the Dixie Mafia, which bears no resemblance to the well, Italian Mafia. He but was in jail for killing a judge. I know that. True. Um, is alleged to be one of the three tramps, but he always denied it. Um, so, you know. He denied the tramp thing, but while he was incarcerated for that judge's murder, he made the claims that he was the grassy knoll shooter over the years, I believe. Well, I don't recall him making that claim. I recall him denying that he was I'll involved. Find it. I'll find it and send it to you. Yeah, please do. because uh, But his claims might have changed too. Look, when people are incarcerated, they sometimes make claims because it gets them visits. It might get them privileges. It might get them presents. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, everybody from David Berkowitz uh, to Charles Manson definitely got fan mail. Well, look at Henry Lee Lucas uh, <laughs> taking the... <laughs> Taking all, taking all those, uh, you know, cold case files and taking the blame for them. Yeah, the something like was giving them details so he could get rewarded. Right. I mean, you know, just and and basically all he wanted was uh, cigarettes and coffee and desserts. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, and he copped to uh, something like three hundred murders, I think. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that he couldn't totally possibly been physically there for. Yeah. Well, at one point, he even told a Japanese filmmaker, uh, "Hey, I got a couple of victims in your country too." And they asked him, hey, how the hell did you get to Japan, James? Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, how, how did you, how, I mean, not James, Henry, how did you get to Japan? 
And he said, uh, oh, well, we drove. So, you know, I mean, look. We drove across the uh, the, Atlantic, the Pacific? Yeah. Uh, yeah, he did. How do you drive to Japan? Uh, anyway. With the DeLorean, apparently. <laughs> may, listen, I'm not saying Doc Brown couldn't have figured it out, but I don't think Henry Lee Lucas did. I mean, the guy was not functioning on a high level. Uh, neither was his uh, buddy out of school. Cool. Yeah. But, yeah. Anyways, um, but look, I, and, and there's another area which I've studied a lot in, and people don't even know that because I never, I hardly ever bring it up on the show. Uh, but uh, serial killers, last year, <laughs> yeah. Oh, look, serial kill you and I have discussed serial killers, but outside of you and me, hardly anybody wants to talk about it anymore. And I keep asking, Where have they all gone? And the uh, the Gilgo Beach guy thing is very interesting to me. Oh, I've been um, studying that, yeah, yeah. And I recently talked to uh, who was it, uh, William Ramsey on my show about it, uh, because he's interested in that. Of course, his smiley face uh, killer thing is very interesting as well. But uh, anyway, I digress. The, the point is that if you don't know the evidence, if you don't know the BS, if you don't know the official story, what are you arguing? Okay, so you need to know the baseline of the evidence in order to begin to build a narrative, to tell a story. And that stands for every kind of case. It's not just the JFK thing. I mean, when people start talking about 9-11 and... They tell you that, you know, it was a rainy day. You know, we I got a problem. <laughs> yeah. Okay. When they when they tell you nobody died and you can't prove that anybody died, I got a problem. When when you tell me that, okay, all the film footage is fake, all right, fine. But what are you gonna do about the physical witnesses to things? What are you gonna do about that, you know, powdered substance, that cloud that I know absolutely I saw with my own hands got across the river into Jersey. What are you going to do, tell me about, about that? The, how about the jumpers that fell on other people and killed them too? The CGI doesn't explain, you know, the debris that got into Jersey City and Bayonne, okay? It just doesn't. You get it? So I'm just saying, know the baseline. Know the realities of things. Know what's publicly and objectively available. And also get into the evidence itself a bit before you start claiming to solve a case. That's all I'm saying. And it doesn't matter what case it is. It doesn't matter what thing you think is thrilling. Read into it as best you can. Get the best primary evidence. Study the witnesses. Interview them yourself. Get the records. Look at them for yourself. Don't just take people's word. You know, the old AJ thing of just waving around a piece of paper and saying, I've got a document. Uh, what do you got in your hand there? I can't see it. No, look at it for yourself. Okay, and observe for yourself. We're going to break that down, and uh, I'm going to be way less long winded about it because I'm going to try and keep it short and sweet so we can get through that hour and a half worth of uh, <laughs> film yes. and uh, yeah. see what we can show people about. You know, listen, if you don't know what you're talking about, you simply don't know what you're talking about. It's got nothing to do with opinion. I'd love to share people's opinions on a lot of things. Matter of fact, here's a weird admission, uh, Graves. You know, I hate the Judith Barry Baker thing and the universe crap that comes with it. Oh, I, I never, I, that never came up. Yeah. That, that it comes up all the time. I, I will always anybody ask me about JFK guaranteed. You're going to get a tirade about how J, uh, Judith Barry Baker is full of crap. But anyway, thing is this about it. Um, I'd love to believe that story. I'd love to believe that somebody knew about all of this and it was solvable based on, what she says. I'd love to believe in the love affair and the nonsense and 
that, you know, actually Lee Harvey Oswald was this well-trained guy who was handling biological agents. And I would love to believe all of that because we'd have a solution in hand. Okay, I'd love to believe in the French gunman uh, uh, shooter scenario, the hired assassins by the mafia who got in and out of Dallas easily because they were white enough to mix. I'd love to believe that. I'd love to believe that. William hey, shot him. <laughs> I, well, uh, the, the limo driver shot him. I mean, you know, who was he? Annie Oakley. Give me a break. But look, um, I'd love to believe a lot of these stories, and I'd love to pin another crime on the on the Bush crime syndicate. And I'd love to give it to George H.W. Bush. I'd love to blame Lyndon Johnson. I'd love to have some of these easy solutions. But I got this little problem, and it's called evidence. So, yeah. oh, oh, Nixon. Nixon would be another fun one to pin it on, but I uh, can't do it. And, you know, it just can't be done. Anyways, we're going to have fun with that. And when are we doing that, Six? We're doing that Monday at noon Eastern time. So we're going to start breaking it down then. I uh, wanted to give ourselves a little bit of time that day uh, to pause and go through these various points because, Chuck, the, the brilliant points that you've been making, man, that, that, again, these are universal types of principles of learning how to study things and objectively you, you know, use them uh, to create evidence and tell stories to other people. Like if, you, if you're going to be responsible for explaining or educating things to people, and if, if that's your goal too, especially like we've talked about, reading people's motivations here. Our goal here on TNP is to educate people how to think critically. We don't want people to just take our word for it. Or like, oh, I heard it over there. Chris Graves said it, and he's a really great researcher, so he understands, and therefore what he said, he wasn't conflating anything at the no, time. No, you know what? Chuck, you know? Chuck, of all people, and I respect Chuck for doing this, Chuck uh, corrected me after I made uh, some statements back and I think it was uh, our little TNP uh, New Year's special or whatever. Mm. And I was talking about uh, George DeMornshield. Oh. And humbly, uh, I admitted afterwards, uh, I think on the next episode we did, mm -hmm. that I, because I had made the claim that George DeMornshield was Lee Harvey Oswald's handler. And the reason why I did that was because it's been printed and talked about and mentioned among the JFK research community so much yep. that i i was guilty of uh you know that's how the influence of those communities works though that's but why if you have most people, like that won't there, people won't catch that and they won't that's say true. that hey i was wrong you know yeah we we See, do but, make corrections here we we do yeah. that because that's important exactly and here's the here's the last point about that and then i gotta get running because uh yes. it, it's it's over time for me here but here's the thing about it i didn't do that as a gotcha like I gotta correct Chris I because never I know better. Did. I never thought I he did either. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I just just want to make that clear to anybody else mm -hmm. because it yeah. wasn't about that. It was about you know what Chris is going to talk about this some more, and I want him to be armed with the best information and the best possible stuff. So let me show him what he's doing here that is giving a false impression. And that helps and, the listener, too, that's listening to this, that would, might take that for granted that Chris said that and then just run with that in conversation. And then somebody that does know that that's not true, then who knows what that could cause, what kind of rift that can cause? Because not everybody see, runs into that situation with correcting themselves very well, too. And that's it, because the second that you start making a poor argument, what you're doing is handing to your opponents an easy way to beat you. Yep. That's, that's the biggest thing about this. And I'd rather that any of my friends especially, is best armed with the best information when they make certain statements and i go well wait a minute i got i know something that might contradict that why don't you look at this 
it's not because I want I know better. It's because I want to help everybody get to a better understanding so that when they make a presentation, especially my friends, that they're saying things that they know they can back up, that they know is accurate, so that we are presenting accurate information to people that indeed are not going to do the better studies for the most part. I'd rather give them the best possible chance to take those statements, to take those things that we assert and run with them. And I want everybody to be able to run in their own directions and find their own path. But first, I want to give them a flashlight at least. And also, you know? this isn't this uh, watch along is not in a mean spirited way. We're not making fun of anybody. We're not, we're not, uh, I just want to make it very clear because there's people listening right now that might think that we're, um, you know, maybe cheap maybe doing a, a disservice to the filmmakers here. And that's not the case. It's just uh, it, as a researcher of, you know, history and hidden history, if you're making claims that you solved the case and you have all these fall fallacies, then you need to be called out on it. So it, this isn't a mean spirited thing at no, all. It's not about that. Yeah. See, but that's the thing. Again, I want the viewer, I want the listener to be armed with the best possible information as I can find it for them. And you know what? I love it when they give me new information. I've learned a lot from feedback where people have said to me, you know what? You might need to look at this considering that you think this about a certain situation. It could be a current event. It could be a historical event. And many people have given me new paths, new directions to look at a lot of things uh, from World War II, from Vietnam, from you know, different historical events and, again, current events as they're emerging sometimes. Hey, you didn't realize that this was reported on. Hey, you didn't know that this person actually did make a statement. Um, I love that. It's great. This is how we can learn from each other as opposed to simply presenting ourselves as the only expert, which, by the way, I never call myself an expert at all. I'm just saying I'm a little better read in than the average person on this particular pile of evidence. That's not expertise. That's just you know, I it's spent about, a lot of time on it. That's it's about the journey. This is a, it's the it, this is about the the pursuit of truth. Right. It's, it's not a, it's not about having uh, already come to the destination. This is we're we're doing the actual journey of it. Right. That's why I think it's so fascinating to come at it from all these different angles. Like I said, I mean, I I may have misidentified somebody in that batting order. But I think that, uh, that you know, when it comes to information on the case going in cold, uh, I might be in the best position out of the people that are going to be on there. But following me would be Chris. I think after that is, you know, six. And then Lisa, she identified herself as a neophyte to it. Mm -hmm. So here we go. We're going to have the best possible experience here because we're going to see how these things hit people. We're going to see how the impressions are made. And that's what's most important anymore, right? What do they say? Impressions. On and the internet, able, Chuck, yeah. Chuck's been able to digest all this information and uh, come up with an informed opinion. My only specialty is I know where to go get to go and get the stuff, the research. And I definitely know how to shit on things, so it just might be it might be a lot nice. of fun to be able to tear something apart. I mean, sometimes I I, I get a little joy out of it. But, hey, look, um, a skill I don't necessarily always have, so I appreciate you for having that skill, and I recognize it. Thank you, six. <laughs> And you know what? Lisa is great at, at throwing in the excited commentary 
And that realization, like I literally can pick up the emotion sometimes where she's like, wow, this is exactly what this is. And she sticks a point like that. And I go, that's great. It's I'm going to get deal. those reactions. I love her reactions to stuff. Yes. So this is going to be enjoyable. And it's, again, not well, about me spirited. I'm glad someone appreciates my reactions because the judges never did. I'm sorry. <laughs> we all yeah, do it TMP, well. Lisa. We all do it TMP. But um, I, don't, I don't strike you as a judge type person when it comes to the legal uh, situation, do I? I'm not that guy. Um, but uh, anyways, Six, I want to thank you for letting me on today and and, and talk oh, way too damn much as per usual and uh, waking me up early and everything. And then I got on here late and I'm sorry about that, but really appreciate you and sorry about being on my webcam mic most of the time. But uh, we had to. Gremlins. Well, anyway, good good parties in my past never really started on time, and some of my best friends uh, in the world um, have been plagued with the same types of technical gremlins. I wonder what's behind all that. But um, what do you got going on with Ocelli.com this evening or this weekend until we get to uh, Monday when we all meet up? Anything? Fun? Well, tonight I'll be doing the uh, the live call in show as I do every Friday. Uh, I have a couple of podcasts to release from this week. Uh, a Wednesday discussion, which is a, an intense 9-11 update with uh, John Gold about the ongoing lawsuit and the BS there uh, with Saudi Arabia and what's happening. Uh, you know, stuff that hardly anybody's covering at all in detail. All right. A uh, bunch of interesting stuff there from Wednesday. From Thursday, I talked to Mike Swanson about media and Star Trek and a few other things. And he went to see that Oppenheimer movie and had some stuff to say about that. Going to release those pods shortly, but tonight I'll be live with the call-in show where anybody can call in and change the topic, and please, please feel free to do so uh, starting at 8 p.m. Eastern on Ocelli.com radio because uh, the live interactions is what makes the Friday show work. And Chris, I don't want to get... <laughs> Chris knows the number so well. <laughs> Does he? Okay, let's see. Chris, do you know the phone number in case somebody wants to save it for later? Yeah, 8675309. Oh God! Here we yeah. go. Yeah, Tommy Tune. Three one nine five two seven five zero one six. Three one nine five two seven five zero one six. Right. I have a sneaking suspicion I'm going to start out the show with the Hunter Biden case again, and I, I got to be quite honest with you. I'm bored with it, but I let people run with what they bring to the table. Both. So. <laughs> please come on and talk about something else. You want to talk about what's going on in Hawaii? I have not nailed anybody down about that. You want to talk about uh, something else in the news, something else you think is important, homelessness, things I've said here today, JFK, whatever it is you want to bring. Uh, it's an open forum for at least two hours on Ocelli.com radio. My co-host, B. Pete, and myself do that for at least two hours on Friday nights. So thank you, Six, for letting me promote that. Brother, I mean, it's it's awesome to be able to work with somebody in your position where you have this alternative network to uh, where you help out hosts and help people like Chris. Um, and then we got Uncle the podcast. We have other podcasts that are in the works um, and, and just the the idea, too, that you have of giving people platforms where they're able to explore these types of topics freely um, and where they can have an environment, too, where they can do that. Uh, without censorship or persecution or anything. That's our entire motto here. Well, with so. Chris, I'm just along for the ride with Get Mad uh, with Chris Graves. But, I mean, that's just one of many podcasts he does uh, uh, various things on. And we've had a couple of tributes lately from Chris, uh, George Carlin and uh, Norm MacDonald tributes, uh, but also a really great interview with a filmmaker the other day, uh, Josh, uh, was it Roush? How do you say his name? Roush? Roush? Josh Roush. Yeah. Roush. 
really interesting guy there. And you never know what Chris is going to do. So get mad with Chris Graves is important. As a matter of fact, if I could keep my camera on today, which I can't, uh, I'd show you a shirt that has uh, the Get Mad logo, the Uncle logo, and the Ocelli logo all splattered all over this crazy looking shirt I'm wearing, which is uh, among many of the uh, interesting little gifts that somebody can get if they make a donation at Ocelli.com. But anyway, uh, Chris is, uh, I'm just along for the ride over there doing one of uh, Chris's many, many podcasts, including this one. Which he does all the time. <laughs> so, yeah. well, let's uh, we'll we'll definitely talk a lot more about what people could do to support Ocelli.com on Monday too. Like, I think that that's important. Like, when, at some point, remind me to allow you to go through what you're doing there as far as donations and everything. I think it's really cool. Appreciate so, it. Like, Thank you. Like, let you talk about that. But if you got a role, brother, I understand. Um, and we'll wrap things up here shortly to uh, audience and panelists. So, um, thanks so much, guys. No problem, Chuck. We'll talk to you soon, brother. Thank you. All right. Well, uh, panelists that are left, um, let's go over one more for the big four that I kind of want to bring up before we get um, final takeaways. And this is um, actually I have it already pulled up here. Uh, let me get to the share screen. This I grabbed a little while back, but um, maybe it was one of you that sent me this, but it says a uh, plan to divide Liverpool into 13 neighborhoods gets approved. Um, I wanted to bring this up because when we talk about the reform reformation uh, of these different cities, like these big networks, right? And I'm sure you're seeing it in your areas. Lisa, you've been sending me stuff about Maine that's going to be included on this week's source list. All different types of major metropolitan areas. We're looking at redistricting who's in charge of these things. I wanted to bring up this article because I think that sometimes whenever you're trying to look at top-down solutions – that they sort of reveal too much about what the real solution is. Hold on one sec. It says, a major plan to divide Liverpool into 13 new neighborhoods has been approved. Last night's meeting of the council's cabinet saw the radical plan aimed at revolutionizing how local authority services are delivered, given the go-ahead. It says the new model will see the city divided up into 13 neighborhoods, each led by a senior manager who will be permanently situated in that area. Okay. Now, they also say that they will each work with departments across the council to highlight and tackle the key issues in the area, be it housing, waste management, potholes, parking, or antisocial behavior. Oh, geez, what could that mean? Now, it also oh. says that, yeah, exactly, like shitting in the streets, maybe? I don't know. Now, it says the landmark proposal, which has a $1.2 million budget, or at least whatever that is in that crazy thing to uh recruit a team is that euros uh to recruit a team of 19 officers or is that pounds now since they're away from the eu uh aims to place the council much closer to its residents so they can understand the need and demand across liverpool's diverse communities it is one of the first major policies to be driven forward by new council leader liam robinson and his new top team now, it also says the uh, planned 13 new neighborhoods will not have specific names, but will include a collection of city wards. And you can see how they will be divided up by colors on the map. Now, I think they have a map here. Now, let me zoom out for a second just so the audience can see this a little bit better. But that's what I'm talking about, folks. Now, I'm going to pause here for a comment because isn't this what we should be doing in the United States? just in a reverse way, instead of having a top-down government that sort of divides us up, creates the communities of how it views and treats 
communities, how it favors certain communities and not others. Wouldn't it be better if we could have communities set up like this where we manage them ourselves instead? Imagine if you lived in a small area like this one that I'm pointing to in the center of the map. You may have something completely different um, of a life than somebody that lives here by the water, for instance. Your access to resources, I'm going back to the center now, are going to be completely different than somebody nearest the water. Your interests, the things that matter to you, the things that affect your daily life, might be completely different than that. Are you countrymen at that point? Maybe. Depends on who's drawing the lines. If you look at this section, nearest the water or in the center here, if you give the ability for people to manage within their own sphere of influence and with their own interests, would this system work a little bit better? Would things be more harmonious if people could act within their own interests as opposed to acting within the interest of a state that engulfs all of these various areas, various interests, and various people like you? And I'll go back to the panel for this. With what we talk about a lot on these shows, we talk to people that talk about localization, talk to people about bringing it all back home, people restarting things, right? When the government's proposing to sort of manipulate an area like this, aren't they revealing to us that they sort of know how this should be structured and they're trying to reverse engineer it back into their favor? I mean, what is the future? of the modern city or even like modern citizenship are we getting into something like starship troopers or demolition man here graves i mean or is it even like a pie in the sky lisa sort of like oh want? yeah thank you sir <laughs> is is it a pie in the sky dream to be able to bring things back to governance at, at a much smaller level since we have these great powers already in place, that if we tried to take back the reins from where we live and defeat our own government and its own tyranny, that will that allow somebody else to fill in the power vacuum, whether it be the global corporatist oligarchy, whether it be another country like China? Like, do by destabilizing the system that we currently have, are we endangering ourselves more? Because we don't know who the new boss is really going to be. And ultimately, when it comes down to our smaller areas, how do we fight them? Like, if we have to, is that even a threat? Or is that just something that the military-industrial complex tells us in order to keep its place? What do you all think of that? I think that that's a, uh, the first thing people need to do is read Vince Agnelli's book, Oh, the yes. public will in you because, right? I mean, it talks about the real way for people to take back the power, right? Yeah, it's about it's about getting out of the existing system, opting out. Well, and and also with our system, and like I put it, I mean, when we sort of switch this system for another. I mean, what system will that be? 
Will it be something that we can manage ourselves? Will it be something where we have a daily say or weekly say even? Maybe even monthly say. You know, we'll, we'll look at it. You know, but it, where you go to, say, a local community center, town hall, and you make votes on what's going to happen with your money and your time and with your efforts and with the resources that you have and how you deal with that and how you deal with what your area has. But we're looking at a vast, vast web of ownership, privatization, government ownership. I mean, we talked about it the other night with Jessica Priya, Sarah, and Peanut Butter Paul. It's just like, who owns Hawaii? Well, you've talked about it, Lisa, with people that even think that they own their own homes. Is that really true at this point? You know, do you do you own a home because it says that you do, or do you own a home because you keep paying the tax man? <laughs> you know, who really who really owns the situation? Who really controls those situations? And if you rid yourself of that, what happens? Right. It. it I mean, because I, I guess that's the biggest problem is that people are, are operating under uh, false premises. I mean. People, I mean, we're operating under an illusion. I mean, people actually think we that it, that there's a two two party system, right? I mean, well, that's what problem. I'm getting at too. Like, I don't want people on our side of anything, if you want to call it that, right? I don't want people having like these sort of big dreams about a future that they don't know how to get there that they don't know how to make it materialize like it's a great concept and everything to want to you know reset and want to bring things back local and our, our buddies over at am wake up are having conversations like that all the time uh with people about how to especially with farming uh to get yourself access to resources like food um and we don't even have and they've said this on their shows too they admit it that even as good of a job as that they do of educating people about this stuff, like it's still getting people to adopt it, getting people to understand it. You know, so all these years later, Grace, like we're we're still battling with people arguing over JFK stuff. I mean, we're we're gonna be arguing over, you know, how we're supposed to move forward in society for I think maybe even the rest of eternity. Well, I don't know if we'll ever get it right. So the so the problem becomes, you know when we talk about pandemic and whatever so the real it comes down to cognitive dissonance right i mean being able to break through that well yes i mean i think that you know the the dissonance occurs in if if people offer up some sort of fantastical solution for you know what we're going through right now and whom we're dealing with as far as like people in power in our country um then I want people to be able to take that idea and be able to build the steps to make it happen. And they have to be able to do that logically. Um, but we also have to look at it objectively from the outside too and look at the harm and the consequences that our, any of our actions may cause. I mean, if we destabilize the American economy right now by switching it over to something more tangible, for instance, a lot of people could die. I mean, that's a very real fact. And in fact, like with the way things that are set up right now, with our supply chains, um, the way that things have been economically for the past several years, 
I believe we're even in a worse position to survive something like that than we've ever been. So if we're going to, yeah, to Harp says, first step, stop calling them leaders. Absolutely. Yeah. You don't have leaders, folks. You have people that represent you. And even that's a stretch. I mean, when it comes down to it, like your your individual presence and your your way of keeping your own shit together and and having plans to survive things and potentially help other people, to have resources that can benefit not only yourself but others, but even have systems where that is available for trade to be able to allow other people when you have a surplus of goods that you can trade that with them. I know a lot of this stuff sounds like we're reinvent, reinventing the wheel, right? Well, yes. Because the ultimate pattern or the ultimate schematic that you that we were given when we were born into this country didn't build the best wheel. We can rebuild it again and make it stronger and better because all the interconnecting parts of it will be able to function properly and with one another in harmony. It's an amazing, amazing thing that we can do in the future if we want to. But for all the people that are out there waving their arms around like Kermit the Frog and screaming, it's happening or it's, it's happening now, maybe the best thing to take from that is, is that if you're going to make any change to help yourself and help others and to help our society, maybe get on that today. Maybe that's the best advice that I can give you. I can't tell you how to run this fucking country or what our future is going to look like or what cities are going to look like in 30 years. I could look at a lot of trends and make some prognostications, but I, I'm no Nostradamus, and even he didn't fucking get it right. So when it goes forward, I think from now on, when we talk about these concepts with the show, just like we did the other night, and something that our friend Tiger talks about a lot, let's talk about the real shit, the real terra firma, what we can do to actually make this happen. Um, we're going to have a fortunate situation next week where we get to talk to uh, John W. Whitehead of the Rutherford Institute about what has happened to us the past several years when it comes to the government violating our First Amendment. Because all of you out there that grew up like I did, believing in our Constitution, believing that it was not only you know, legal, <laughs> but a moral good, I want to understand a little bit better because if we're going to use that as a template going forward as to how we should act and live and how our society is going to be governed, then what's the consequence of those who govern us if they violate that amendment? Have we built in any sort of penalty? Is there anything that they should be forced to serve? Should they have to walk off the, you know, should they be kicked out of their jobs? Should they be shunned from public life? Should they be in stockades? Where's that written? How is the system set up to protect us from our, for, with our most inalienable rights? Harp says it right. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I want to know from the people that have studied this stuff, just like it, we, when we get to talk to people like Chuck and, and Don, you know, about the JFK assassination. Because the more that I find out about those things, the more questions that I have. And we're fortunate enough to have them with us, to ask them. That's one of the more amazing things about what we get to do here is that we can ask Chuck O'Celli and Don that have put all that work in. And we can ask people like Chris Graves. And Lisa, I get to 
bounce questions off of you about legal stuff all the time. That we can take what we've done in the past, whether it's been used for right or wrong, or even been leading people and sort of and yourself in the wrong directions. You can turn it around. It's almost like they were onto something there with that Led Zeppelin song. But going forward, yes, let's look at more real solutions of what people can do to solve these problems. I mean, let's get people on that are homeless advocates and let's get homeless people on. I want to talk to people about all the different angles on this. I would like to see people be able to, in this economic era, tell us how they're doing it, tell they're telling people and educating people how they're getting by. But I also want people in sort of like the intangible or mental aspect of things. I want to be able to educate people to think critically. I want to be able to, to teach people how to look at these stories and gain something from it objectively that they can pass on others. I want to so, make comedy. Hell yeah. Because <laughs> I'm you, sick Chris. of talking to this horrible gloom and doom shit every fucking day. You're damn right, dude. You're you damn see right. The, you see that article I put? Uh, they're making a new JFK. I wish uh, Chuck was still on the line with oh, us. Oh, shit. Yeah, I got it here. Let me I pull don't know it up what the quick. hell. Courtney Love is a part of it. Oh, speaking of comedy, right? <laughs> Shia LaBeouf. This yeah. Fucking... All these figures are a part of it. Uh, what's his face? Uh, John Travolta. Oh, man. You get, get out of here. Oh, yeah. This is from Variety, folks. Vigo Mortensen, Shia LaBeouf, uh, Courtney Love, board David Mamet's JFK thriller assassination. It's called. Oh, just and in Al time Pacino. for the 60th. Come on. Oh. What a collection of people here. Um, you got a lot of different groups represented, though. I mean, you have the CIA potentially with Courtney, <laughs> you have a lot of like conspiracy fodder. Yeah, <laughs> people that also like to grab masseuses' cocks. I heard there's a lot of different groups being represented there. Yeah, Vigo Mortensen. Yeah, yeah, and Vigo Mortensen too. Yeah, he was in, <laughs> yeah. he was in the Lord of the Rings, right? Yeah. Oh, he grabbed so, the ring. He grabbed the ring. Well, but isn't that? I mean. <sighs> Maybe that's sort of a good way to to end this episode. The Ring of Power, right? Um, wasn't there sort of a lesson there about nobody should be able to wield something that has that much fucking power? Yeah, like a butthole. I know. Truth, but yeah. no. Um, <laughs> whenever whenever we're talking about like just um the way that the cities and societies that we all live in are shaped. Like, I would like to see a lot more diversity than what I see when I travel. I'd like to see something a little bit more than just another fucking Dollar General. <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah. All the mom and pop shops uh, got shut down during COVID. Yeah. And, and Chris, that you, you've done some traveling and you've been out to places where they have ridiculous architecture and there's other historical homes. Oh, and, I lived in my car driving nature. across the country. You've also done that. So, coast I mean. Coast. Yeah. But doesn't it seem like that's all being, and Carlin talked about this decades ago, and it's been happening ever since. He saw it happening. But just like the Walmartization <laughs> of America, where everything's a strip mall, everything's like the you same know, I, old shit. I can't stand Walmart, but I'll, I'll tell you this. The only thing keeping the cops off my ass was the fact that Walmart would let you uh, sleep in your car in their parking lot. That was Not the true. only thing keeping the cops from from uh busting me for like loitering or some shit so i'll give them that other than that walmart kind of sucks <laughs> yeah and well i mean that's that's the other thing too i mean i i, I wish that we had 
brilliant people in situations where they were at the head of these corporations and they were so benevolent <laughs> that they were able to take everything that they have to like help the common man. But I don't no, think we live in their that. description. Yeah, I don't think we live in that universe either. No, no, no. And and that's sort of the weird flip that I see in in a lot of arguments and culture and what what Chuck was talking about too. When people start getting into politics, even it's just like, okay, well, government sucks. Anything government's bad. Okay, I hear you. Uh, but then privatization then, and they're like, oh well, like this private company like Walmart, and I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> yeah. They're the only ones allowed to stay open during a, a pandemic, yeah. but everyone else has to shut. They ain't your mom and pop fucking hot dog stand here. No. <laughs> you yeah. know, the, the same rules don't apply to them that apply to the rest of us if we have a fucking business. So yeah. don't be running exactly. away with that private shit either. Yeah, that's just not yeah. something that we can do. And that goes back to what Chuck was talking about, though. That's really getting educated. You know, for me, when I was younger, maybe you would have gotten that answer out of me. You pulled me aside when I was like 19 and asked me, you know, it's just like, do you, what, what do you like better? Give me a false dichotomy too. You you want the government running the world or you want corporations to do it? And I'd be like, well, I like corporations. They give me stuff that I like. You, you know, just like that. Oh, probably too. Yeah. I mean, what you mean? Rough year. yeah. Yeah. It took a lot. It took a lot. Disneyland. That. <laughs> Disneyland. Yeah. What a fucking great movie, Bulletproof. That's um, right. What's up, Chuck? <laughs> no, no. That was a line, folks. What's up, Chuck? Yes. Anyway. But, you know, from from those days forward, though, like I slowly grasp that the more faith and power that we put into other people in the quote unquote private market, that that wasn't doing much for us anyways. You know, especially after 2008, <laughs> you know, everything from that point on when the government and the, the private sector sort of merged, you know, when we have another watermark and the the overall conglomerization, you know, of yeah. our society, you know, besides, you know, after the JFK and after 9-11 and everything else like that. Yeah. Bend you know, over then, and touch your toes, folks. Yeah. And then after that, that's where, like, you don't find anything that's mainstream. There ain't nothing private there. There's yeah. nothing private about mainstream anymore. It's us here in the DIY media doing it. So what you talked about in getting into comedy, uh, we've talked about and in getting into whether it be horror comics or anything, Chris. I'm all for that, brother. I'm all for for helping you. And I'm sure the audience out there is just they can't wait to get something else in their hands from you. Um, that's yeah, this more is, lighthearted. It's draining. I'm, yeah. I'm not going to lie to you. And like a lot of the podcasts that I have been doing. I don't know. It's just uh, mentally. It's like I, I wasn't meant. I was uh, I wasn't meant to be a reporter. I wasn't meant to be, you know, a journalist. Like I was meant to uh, for other things like creativity. And that's what I'm going to start shifting towards. And, you know, I know other people say, oh, you're a good researcher. I appreciate that and all. But yes, it's not good mentally or physically even like for me to be honest with you oh it really manifests isn't, it does you know? yeah a lot of this I give can it take to it people out like me. dana like they they can they can investigate that really really dark shit like i've been investigating dark shit for i don't know since the 1990s i, I kind of just want to be a goofy bastard that's all <laughs> well we love you any way we can get you but the goofy bastard part Whoa. and if it makes you if it makes you healthy and it makes you happy chris like i'm i'm all for promoting that and, yeah. and 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 i'm all for getting it into the hands of other people because i think that some a person like yourself when given the opportunity to entertain other people 
that you're you're also passing on something that's very worthwhile that it's something that's going to be used and 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 looked at by people again just like this type yeah and i'm not going to be 22 i'm not going to be 22 forever so i gotta get on the ball man before i hit my 30s that's right (laughs) so you know time's a ticking there folks folks out there that are that are around our age and everything like that remember when you used to say that shit i'm way older than the both of you so let's not go there i got the straps on my boots i'm picking them up yeah it's isn't that funny too when you talk about objective and subjective just like the way we all look at time in our lives like the way that we look at our 20s or our 30s or maybe now our 40s. i'm still in my 20s no fucking that's right Looking like looking like when you get all skinny, when you get a little chubbier too, it kind of makes you look younger when you're well, all when swollen you get up. A chubby, don't leave the house. You get oh, <laughs> yeah, you might not want to stay away from the bus stop. But uh... <laughs> <laughs> stay away from the heart. Yeah, forget it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, now, Lisa, if there were some final takeaways from this episode that you wanted people to to have, what would, what would those be? Well, I I really enjoyed uh, this episode. You know, Chuck brings a lot of deep conversation. And I particularly, you know, enjoyed uh, exploring the the journey of this. That I love the fact that it's not about us drawing hard conclusions about anything. but that it's about the journey of seeking the run, truth. Run, Lisa, run. They found you. I, know. I was like, damn, Lisa. <laughs> you know, Should have never sent you that Biggie Small run. song. That's what happens. Hey, hey. I'm run you from know, the popo. This is PTSD <laughs> over here. So, uh, oh, yeah. So, anyway, <laughs> I know. I can, Guess what? I, I'm going up north tomorrow. So, I, I'm, I'm psyched to get out of this this war zone um yeah so so i'm pumped because listen uh my takeaway is it's all about asking the right questions so yeah yeah like when is a pizza hut buffet gonna end yes well (laughs) it depends on when you really want it to end that's uh (laughs) i've had a few experiences uh, when when the breadsticks are gone dude yeah well, I mean, yeah, it depends on how you look at the. I mean, if you are more of the carb guy, absolutely, you know. But um, now, Grace, you have some, uh, you have some podcasts coming up, don't you? Do you have a Get Mad scheduled for tonight or anything? Going uh, on? Yeah, I might talk about Back to the Future, or uh, yeah, yeah. I, I might take tonight off. I don't know. Okay, um, that's very fluid right now. My guest was going to be John Barber, but he has a different show to do. I guess. <laughs> That's a way to t- confuse people that you tell them that you're going to do a show about Back to the Future, but never show, so they don't know if you actually. No, 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 no. John Barber has nothing to do with oh, Back okay. to the Future. No, 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 no. I'm just saying, like, if if, right. if you really, yeah, like, be here for the Back to the Future episode, and then you, you told them the wrong time, or yeah. <laughs> yeah. I might do the Sister Act two Back in the Habit special next uh, Thursday. Oh, that's gonna be a classic. No, that's not a real thing, folks. No, no. But, um, but also, there will be an interesting uh, show tomorrow with uh, yes. Mr. Tom Cooper. 
Oh yeah, we we love the conspiring with Mr. Cooper show here on TMP. It has uh, it has a different flavor to it altogether. Not that I'm tasting anything really, but I it's going to be a different vibe. It's going to be a different yeah. setup too because this is going to be Tom Cooper's moment to really shine as the host of that of that program. <laughs> I'm going to be there. Don't get me wrong, but this is this is uh, it's going to be his moment to shine. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Well, I always, I always love hearing from brother Tom. He's uh, always insightful. He's got great stories. Uh, absolute great music selection uh, that he sends me to. Uh, and uh, thank you to him and our buddy Harps that's in the chat right now. Uh, Angry Tiger and other people that have uh, participated in heavy Sunday. So uh, if you don't know folks that are listening, if you're into heavy metal, even if you're not, it might be something cool for you to check out if you're into trying some new things out. Even if you're just um, heavy like me. <laughs> well, there, there can be a bit of that too. Um, maybe maybe that'll be uh, the theme one one Sunday. This would do, uh, if you're going to do something from a band, it has to be a band that has at least one heavy person in it. Yeah, man, um, it's Sunday. Well, yeah, I mean, not that he is anymore, but Dino Cesaro back in the day from Fear Factory. I mean, everyone <laughs> yeah. would call him Fat Dino. So oh, he was huge. Yeah, so I think he would qualify. I think Fear Factory would qualify for us. Maybe John Goodman and myself. Yeah, yeah John Goodman. I mean, oh, oh, how about this one? Uh, John Popper from Blues Traveler. Yeah, you, yeah, yeah. And he was on Howard Stern a lot back in the day. About he it. was, He's, and then he got the uh, operation. Yeah. He got yep. the tuck. Yes, he did. And then he regretted it. <laughs> he said he said it was painful. I can imagine um getting anything in your body like fucked with like that. Uh yeah, probably not probably not cool. Probably shouldn't do it unless you absolutely have to. Who knows? I got a different tuck, but anyway. Ooh. Whoa! Whoa. But uh folks, we're gonna wrap it there. Um <laughs> yeah, that's maybe part of the tuck. Um but uh, we will be we will be experiencing the Tiger and the Snake Financial Report at 4 p.m. here on TMP. Uh, we will be following it up with uh, Conspiring with Mr. Cooper uh, Saturday nights at 8 p.m. This is all Eastern time. Um, and then uh, who knows what we got going on Sunday? We always have yeah. some surprise things uh, on Sundays. And then um, cooking. yeah, and then on uh, on Sundays too. Uh, make your submissions on. Uh, Twitter, also now known as X. Uh, you could also do it on Instagram, Gab, and Minds. Those are our other platforms. Um, yeah, submit uh, submit some heavy songs or albums that you want people to listen to. Um, it's something else to help us get through the week. Because like what Chris talked about, like his his havens in the past have been uh, movies and and horror and comedy and things like that. Norm Macdonald just recently got him through a very tough time. You know, with his health and his mindset and everything. No, and, McDonald's dead, dude. Well, not personally, Chris. Yes. Oh, oh. But oh. Uh, thank you for the dry delivery. Norm would really, really appreciate <laughs> it. Um, but uh, yes, and, and if you have something like that in mind, like if you have a song that you've just been putting on at the gym or listening to in the car on the way to work, and it's something you want to share with people because it might lift them up or give them some motivation, share it. And especially if it's really heavy, you like that. But uh, folks. Um, thank you for being here today. Please hit the like button. That helps us out so much in the Rumble algorithm. Uh, sorry about the technical gremlins and late start. Um, we will beat those little bastards with the golf club if we see them. That's the new rule. Um, yes, thank you, Chris. And uh, also, um, make sure to share this with other people that would like these sort of conversations. Um, you never know, you know who might want to jump into a bunch of new topics in their life and learn about a bunch of new things. Uh, through what we just talked about here today. 
And we're definitely uh, looking forward on Monday at noon Eastern time to jump into this little JFK documentary with uh, our friends here on the panel. So uh, join us then too, um, until we meet again and until we are free, we are the new prisoners. <laughs>